Hey guys, it's Anand Shippy from Anantech.com. We are back for the Anantech podcast. This is episode 24. I'm joined by the ever-intelligent uh, Brian Klug. He's our uh, senior smartphone editor. Hey guys, I want to track my intro over time, by the way. It changes like every week. <laughs> it, I mean, I have to like come up with something. And this is <laughs> this is like the absolute worst, I don't know, material I can come up with. I'm, I'm apparently not that good in terms of creativity. Um, I thought that was good. <laughs> Uh, so a whole bunch of stuff happened since the last time we did this. Um, the biggest of which is, I don't know what we want to call it. Benchmark boost gate. gate. You got to add gate to everything yeah. now. <laughs> um, so what happened here for those of you who didn't follow is about a month ago. Uh, and let me preface this with, here's some behind the scenes on how a lot of scandalous stuff gets leaked. Usually it's a company who finds something that their competitor has done and calls up a bunch of journalists and they're like, hey, I discovered this. You should go write about it and I give you the exclusive for it. That's typically how this works. Everyone who was following um, the topic we're about to talk about, uh, you know, the older folks, they would point to uh, ATI's like quack thing where quack I don't know if you remember three. this. Yeah, if you renamed the Quake 3 EXE to like anything else, so if you renamed it to Quack, it would <laughs> disable a bunch of. I mean, the ATI at the time was just doing like a, a, a file name detect on it and, you know, turning on a bunch of optimizations. Um, so NVIDIA was actually the one that found that. And then they called up a bunch of people and they're like, hey, look, we found this. You should, you know, go off and do something with it. Um, and then they'll, they'll be like, you can, because it's on background, you can pretend like you discovered it. Correct. Like, correct. we're just so smart, we discovered this. Yep. And I remember the first time, like, because I, I did this, like, when I was a kid and I'd started up, um, I don't know, I was like 15 or 16 or something around there. And, and I remember the first time someone came to me with this, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Like, I'm, I'm you know, it's a source and whatever, I'll, I'll do some due diligence and, and then we're done. And then when I realized what people were doing is everyone started to try to do that to me. And I was like, okay, no, this is actually really bad. Let me, let me think. And yeah, because then you take the bait. Like, yeah. they're just pitching you. You're just doing their dirty work, yeah. right? And that's not to say that there isn't validity in what they're trying to do, but that's how a lot of this stuff happens. Um, so that isn't the case with what happened here. So what happened here is you have this guy, Andre F7, on Twitter, and he pings you, Brian, and he points you at a thread over at Beyond 3D. And it was literally um, like a minute after he posted it. Yeah, so he points... Like he, he sent me the tweet, and then I looked at the... I mean, I just read, read the post, like, I read things that people send me, and yeah. it was, like, a minute after he had posted it. So, so I think it's fair to say we were first to be on top of that particular ping or whatever. And and he did this, like, a month ago, right? Well, yeah, and then I immediately started playing with it, and, I mean, you can, uh, I'll let you tell the story, but it was, to say that this has been in the works for a month is, you know, at least, it's been at least a month. Yeah. So what happened was this guy ran some tests and through, you know, just good old-fashioned testing, he came up with this idea that, um, hey, it looks like Exynos 5 Octa versions of the Galaxy S4 are detecting certain benchmarks and increasing GPU frequency to 532, 533 megahertz, um, which is what we originally found as the, the peak clock speed for the PowerVR SGX 544 MP3 that's in that core. Um, so well, he, said, he, hey, was, he was trying to overclock it, and then <clears throat> you can see the DVFS table in that same directory. And so he was assuming that you know it was going to the max state, and he was pushing it further. But really, then he discovered when he wasn't seeing any gains in benchmarks that it was always this lower state 
below the maximum state. So he was editing uh, the max okay. state and then coming back and being like, why isn't it working? Okay. And so then, he, he rooted his device. Oh, I mean, he was compiling his own kernel, right? Because oh, okay. we, I mean, like I had looked through the kernel sources too, um, you know, like as I usually do when something gets disclosed, because that's a good way to find out, you know, what's inside things that interest me. And um, so that's undoubtedly why he kind of like came to us first and was like, hey, look at this. Yeah. So what he discovered is you run certain benchmarks. The GPU runs at 533 megahertz. You run anything else and it runs at 480. And the obvious implication is that, well, you do this because you want to obviously get higher scores in those benchmarks, but you don't want to run your GPU at, you know, the highest frequency and voltage point at all time because it's, it's a huge chunk of transistors. It'll draw a lot of power. It'll heat up the device a lot. It's generally not a good idea for battery life either. Um, right. So that was the beginning of this. And we did a bunch of stuff behind the scenes, testing it, verifying it, kind of bringing other people in and, and you know, getting input from everyone else on it. Um, and then we published this thing. And in the process of publishing it, one, you know, we, we kind of, uh, uh, you established that, hey, this is what's going on. You did a little more digging. You found, one, you found the whitelist, right? You found the list of, or at least references right. to certain benchmarks. Two, you also I found a whitelist. <laughs> yes, you found a whitelist. Um, and I guess the, the thing that was kind of unique about this situation is, you had an older version of a benchmark. You had GLBench 2.5.1 included in some way, shape, or form, included in a list of apps that could get access to this higher GPU frequency. But the newest version of that benchmark, 2.7.0, which is now um, GFX Bench, right. uh, wasn't included. And that's how we were able to kind of um, uh, validate that even if you throw the same workload at it, just because they're under different benchmark names, um, you get different results. Right. Um, and I mean, obviously, the strings benchmark boost, do boost Adonis, do boost Fusion Three, kind of speak for themselves. At least in my yeah. mind. I mean, no, there's you, your you found... explain your way out of that combination of words, and it's it's very tricky to do. So yeah, and you you found references to again the phrase benchmark boost. Um, you also found a flag that whenever this boost mode is active, that flag goes high. Um, the intent lets you literally request sort of whatever states you want. Which is kind of, they have a lot of control over what you can sort of ask for from this application if you know it exists and the right way to ask for it. And um, so, I mean, obviously the, the implication there is that then Samsung or, you know, another person could collude, you know, pressure an application developer to say, you know, like, let's, uh, you know, include this code in your app, force the GPU to these states force the CPU to these states and um, do as you do as you want from there. Yeah. Well, so a couple of things. I want to get to the CPU part in a second here. Um, one thing that I think it's it's worth um, setting straight here is that the difference in clock speed, the increase in performance, potential increase in performance, if we just look at the frequency difference is like, what, 10%, a little over 10%. Right. In it's practice, not you, you actually get a little more than that because it's not just that you're giving access to a higher frequency, but it looks like you're also giving access to a higher thermal limit. Right. Right. And like, that's it's the key. It's effectively because, removed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's the combination of the two, which is why you might see instead of like a 10 or 11% gain, you might see something closer to like 14 or 15%. 
Um, and that may not sound like much, but we're talking about silicon that's already in like thermally constrained environments. So, I mean, a 10 to 15% gain, if you look at like a mature piece of silicon, you look at the desktop PC space, that's like a generational gap in performance. Um, so well, and I, think, big... I think you can also see in some later digging that I did that wasn't necessarily published that they also force things like memory interfaces and the internal buses to, to clocks that I'm not sure are exposed elsewhere. Because I can't really prove that part. We didn't include it. But um, obviously, yeah, there's just all manner of control over what, what happens inside uh, when, when this mode is engaged, you know, when the, the boost flag is set to one. Yeah. And so I think it's also important to kind of note that, uh, like, all of these tangential discussions happened around the same thing, right? And one of the discussions I saw was, well, anyone who makes a purchasing decision based on benchmarks is just stupid to begin with. And, like, that's just (laughs) – that is not an accurate conclusion to to this. Like, that's not the point of all of this, right? Um, Well, and the other other point was then that the PC – GPU vendors still do this, which is false. Like, they tried, yeah. everybody called them out, now they don't. So yeah, the, and the optimizations that the PC GPU vendors do now is, um, how do you produce the same looking output and, and take as right. many shortcuts in between, right? And and that's a whole different ballgame. And I, I guarantee you we're going to get there, too, with the, uh, with the mobile GPU vendors. It's just no one's really produced uh, a substantially visually demanding application uh, where we actually really care about visual quality yet, uh, right? And there were there are primarily two GPU vendors you would target in the PC space. Yes. In the mobile space, there are like what four or five. You know, yeah. I mean, just off the top of my head, you have Adreno, GeForce, SGX, um, Mali, and then Vivante. So that's like mm-hmm. five, and that's yep. not even going to all the like, you know, minor ones that you've never heard of that are shipping in other various parts. Yep, and then this year you add Intel to that list too. Great, yeah, yeah, you're right. Gen, um, what is it? Gen six, Gen seven. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, that's a good point. So I mean, and that's also why you see, you know, like even John Carmack was talking about that in his QuakeCon talk. There's no attempt on the mobile space to sort of optimize to an architecture or squeeze everything out of it. It's sort of just a, you know, you make the calls to to GLES and then hope for the best. You know, there's no. Yeah analysis beyond that but that's tangential <laughs> well i remember you know in the pc gpu days when we had a bunch of different graphics vendors right um sure back when it was 3dfx and you had uh uh like the the verite guys and you know all of these other folks producing pc gpus i do remember analysis on like how you know quake 2 colored lighting was handled on all of these guys but I feel like it was a very different period back then because we were looking at, you know, this is the first time anyone had ever done this on a computing platform that was accessible to consumers. Whereas in the mobile space, we're just rehashing all of it, right? So it's like, well, yeah, we kind of know what this is supposed to look like. None of this is actually all that amazing in terms of visual fidelity. Um, it's just amazing that I can do it on my phone. Um, right. So I feel like there's this slight shift away from... Uh, you know, really caring about what it looks like on the screen, and and it's really focused on performance. Now, one thing, if we you know, if we map what happened in the PC industry, people started caring more about image quality once performance got good enough. And I think it's safe to say that we're not quite there yet on the performance side. Well, you saw um, some of this already with the floating point differences between all the GPUs. Somebody was tracing, 
you know, like it's not it's sort of an undefined thing in the ES spec. Yes. Uh, what what the behavior is for accuracy, and that you know some of these players were a lot better than others. Some of them had like visual differences when you kind of like looked at this corner case. Um, I don't know. I want to get back to the whole uh, yeah so that's cheating like... thing or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Benchmark boost gate. <laughs> the the I think it, it's just disappointing. Like I'm disappointed. I remember I, I really wanted to tell the story about how you know when we first started running benchmarks. Um, a long time ago, like what three or four years ago, like I was a junior in college uh, when I sort of sent the email that started all this and asked for access to a lot of these tests that previously were only run by silicon vendors um, to sort of do their internal comparisons and select what they wanted, you know, from OEMs. And uh, I remember, I, I remember you sent an IM back, and it was literally like, well, now it's only just like a matter of time before somebody cheats. Yeah. And it was like, just, just start, start your clock. Literally. I think you said something like that. It was just like, start your watch. Yeah. And, um, so I, I remember being there the moment that you made that prediction and like, it goes so far back. I can't find the chat, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't like, I, I don't know what the deal was, but, uh, so that, that I, I, I guess I'm surprised it took this long or maybe, you know, like obviously it's probably gone on before, and yes. as we'll talk about, another part of it seems to have gone on much longer. Yep. But um, this is the first case I've seen where it was sort of like, you know, a dramatic, you know, like a 10% number, you yeah. know, or at least well, like something, also... the frequency that they were exposing only to tests. And yeah. that to me is just, it's disappointing, but I guess it was inevitable, you know, like if you're going to do it, don't get caught, but don't do it, you know? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I think with anything in life, right, you you define boundaries by pushing them, right? And in this case, sure. we, I, I, I think everyone looked at this and said, okay, I think I think maybe this is too far, right? Maybe we shouldn't sure, do this. Sure. And, and I should also add that, you know, the, the official clarification from Samsung, um, which came out very, very quickly, was um, they said a couple things. One, fundamentally, they agreed with what we were saying, that... Uh, this mode was, you know, specific to certain benchmarks. They threw in a bunch of other first-party apps, um, which you had found initially, but didn't really. It didn't make sense to you. Yeah, it didn't um, make sense because the 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 string that sort of talked about that in another part of the application um, said that it only the the permissions only applied to Samsung stock apps. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, when you just throw in like a list of things that aren't stock apps, then it's sort of like, well, okay, that was just in case you saw this, you know, and I, I don't really like, I think the stock apps is a red herring. Like I said that to you, it's just like, that's a red herring. Well, uh, so what, what's interesting is, so what the, the response was, um, yeah, games are capped at 480. Um, because I mean, basically because honestly, that's what you'd want to do, right? Like it's, it's, it's bad for the user experience to run at the highest possible frequency and voltage setting. It just right. is. Um, even on the CPU side, it's just not a good idea. Uh, you leak a ton, you're just killing your battery, um, and it's just an inefficient part of the performance curve to be um, to, to operate at. So that was the the reasoning for hey, why um, why this isn't happening on the um, uh, what why this isn't happening in games. And, and I get right. that. Um, then the question is, uh, does it happen in benchmarks? Yes, they they said yes. This this does happen in benchmarks, but it also happens in these four apps, and that was the S browser. 
um, gallery or the photo viewer or whatever, um, the video player and the camera. And what's interesting is those four apps, one, three of them will never hit 533 megahertz on the GPU because I, like I sat there and I ran like a WebGL test in S browser. I did anything I could possibly think of in the gallery app. And obviously video player is not like, there's a problem if, if it's <laughs> yeah, using, it shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> it shouldn't be doing that. Um, so in those three, it doesn't, what surprised me was the camera app. Um, I, I guess it shouldn't surprise me, but it, in the camera app you have, um, if you kind of quickly toggle between the live filters, that will spike the GPU up to 533 for like a second. Huh. Um, and what's interesting so is... So I guess you know of, how those work. They're just the GLES shader. Yeah, exactly, which <laughs> makes sense, right? That's yeah. the right way to do like a live you know, right. visual manipulation like this. Um, but what's interesting is none of those four apps actually trigger the, the boost flag. So I'm, I'm wondering if what's actually happening is, yes, those are all capable of hitting 530-whatever, but they're not given the added thermal headroom. And right. that's Well, why... that makes sense because the, the framework that they've defined in this TWDVFS.APK has a lot of granularity, like a lot more than I initially suspected. And um, one of the things that is that, yeah, you can, it seems like you can request, you know, give me all the states, give me, give me all the states on the GPU, give me all the states on the CPU, how many cores you want active. If you want thermal boost just removed entirely. Yeah. And we didn't even write about the thermal boost part of this. Like you're just killing your silicon. Like it's going to age way faster. Yeah. You know? And it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> the, the, there's that aspect of it that I really, really want to test. Um, cause you and I, like we've been going on this privately about just how high of a voltage everyone's running at to get these like really, really high frequencies. Yeah, and compared to Intel, which we're spoiled by. Yeah, I like, mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I saw it to Haswell, and I was just like, wow, this thing's running at, like, sub-1 volt. <laughs> like, it's running I mean, at sub-1 volt at, like, like an two insane gigahertz. frequency. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> I have to have, like, almost 1.5 volts on 28 TSMC LP and then 38, I mean, 28 um, Samsung High K to get, like, 1.3 volt, 1.3 gigahertz. yeah. No, it's, it's, um, so like, and, are they just is, like really crappy bins all the time or is it really this bad? Well, so here's, what's interesting, right? And, and here's where I'm really afraid. I think we've talked about this before that Intel is just going to do the wrong thing when it comes to Bay trail and Maryfield. Um, what everyone does in the mobile space and the mobile Silicon space right now is they advertise effectively their boost frequency, right? They advertise what's you know, when uh, the 8064, a, what is it, AA or AB in, in um, the Galaxy S4, that 1.9 gigahertz number is not nominal frequency. That is like the absolute highest frequency you can get, and nominal frequency is somewhere much, much lower. Yeah, it's, it's like almost 1.3 after you let it kind of settle down. Yeah, and like even that, I, I'm guessing if you actually spent, if you... Oh, it'll go down to 918 if you leave it on for hours, just like if you, overheating. And 918 is likely, if you were to specify it and adhere to a TDP, I would guess a lot of these guys would be down at around a gigahertz, and that would be your sure. nominal frequency, and everything else would be a boost. But because we don't have any like anyone adhering to or specifying a TDP, we don't get that. And because we have this like stupid like clock race, which we know how these end. <laughs> like They don't end well. Well, um, you know, like... 
I think the argument is that in mobile applications tend to be even more bursty than the desktop. Like the desktop, the expectation is that you can run it 100% and get, you know, like this this baseline forever with with like stock cooling. But Whereas so on mobile, is... it's it's very bursty just by nature because it's a phone and you're going to take it out of your pocket, turn it on, put it back. And the only case where you're going to like drive it 100% for like an hour is you know, playing games. So, and this, I think this started more with NVIDIA and the whole Tegra 3, you know, they had like a bin that was only one point, you know, only one core. And then they had another bin for like, here's two cores and another bin for, for all four. Yeah. And but so, I guess we kind of let that slide. Like, even though we talked about it, I don't know, like obviously yeah, Qualcomm does it just as much, like effectively the max isn't 1.9. Like that's just hilarious. And like Exynos 5, the same applies. Yeah. Well, so you you brought the PC comparison, but that's how. Um, well, first of all, all workloads I think are bursty, right? Um, now, granted, the dynamic range is much larger in mobile because you're talking about like uh, very quick transitions from full sleep off, very low power to hey, I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff. Right. But I think I think in many cases, at least with the notebook, you look at you know. Um, AppNap and some of the stuff that was talked about with OS 10 Mavericks, right? Um, they're trying to do the same thing, right? They're trying to well, that's, bring that's that. That's natural, yeah. I mean, it should be that way. But on top of that, I think you're only seeing, uh, like these days, you kind of assume that Max Turbo on a desktop is just totally attainable. I think a lot of that has to do with how well Turbo has evolved and how well process technology has evolved, right? Because if you look at when Turbo first hit back with Penryn, it was miserable. Like it didn't do anything. Um, there were turbo frequencies offered, but you just never saw them. Sure. And even with Nehalem, like it was, they were there, but you didn't really see them all that much. It wasn't until Linfield and beyond where they got really, really exciting. Um, well, that's because Intel nailed it down. Like, I mean, you were talking about this earlier before as well. Like it's, it's sort of like amateur hour in the arm space where like they're doing DVFS on, in software, which is, of Which course, is... like, if it wasn't there, we wouldn't have this problem, you Correct. know, like, or, you know, maybe we would, but we'd have no insight into it. But either way, it'd be a lot harder to just go in and be like, well, I'm changing the way the the microcode on this part of the CPU, you know, like the uncore or whatever it would be, just manages power, you know? So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just amateur hour. Like, the fact that you can just go and change this in the CPU freak architecture. <laughs> You know, and it's just by nature, it's it's consuming CPU cycles on the CPU in the, in the kernel to go and change CPU states. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's this is not the right way to do it at all. And, uh, yeah. So I, I'm curious to see And I'm sure they'll disagree, you know, like 100% just, by, just because they believe it's the best design ever. Well, but. actually, so I, I we challenged ARM about this, uh, me and some of the other folks that were at, at ARM in, in England, and... Um, there wasn't much pushback, right? Like there was a <laughs> Oh, they were like we agree with you. This is stupid. They didn't they, they didn't say that, but they weren't like <laughs> they did the PR version of it. They were like we are looking into this, you know, like no, they... <laughs> this is good feedback. So I Like you've never had how... that idea before? <laughs> I explained to them how I think Baytrail works and the response I got was something along the lines of, "Oh, we didn't realize that's what it was doing." And you did a um, face bomb. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the platform's not they out like, yet. Dang, like, it could... dang it. Now we can't just, like, reach in and request whatever we want when, you know, like, GL Benchmarker or Antutu. And can we talk about, like, you shouldn't be using Antutu. First of all, 
and I, I and I said I tweeted this after we discussed it, but I believe the Antutu and um, you know uh, um, Clover Trail Plus issue and and this Samsung thing are entirely orthogonal. It's not my job and it's not our job to go track down every stupid thing that somebody else does, like running Antutu and making an entire report based on it. It is not my job and it never will be to go yeah. track down every single little stupid thing. And I say stupid because literally it is stupid. You shouldn't yes. be using Antutu, much less publishing a report based on only Antutu, and then <laughs> be surprised when it's inaccurate. You know, like we've never... And then more, much much more, my reaction was, well, of course. And wow, I'm like not surprised because we don't use Antutu. Yeah. And so that's why I believe they're entirely orthogonal. Well, and so I have a bunch to add to that as well, right? So um, the Antutu thing is, you know, there was a version of Antutu um, that got compiled with ICC, with Intel's compiler. And Intel's compilers are really, really good. Um, uh, Very efficient at producing, you know, good high-performance code. Uh, The Intel compiler did this optimization on one of the benchmarks. And it, uh, I don't want to get into the, you know, the right or wrong of the well, optimization. They, did the, they removed stuff from the memory test. All the other tests were unchanged. But then the way that it just reports a number, it just yeah. takes like the geometric mean of all these scores. Correct. And gives you a number, which again, like what does the number mean? There are no units. Okay. <laughs> First <laughs> red so, flag like, for this is stupid. The, <laughs> the, the goal of the compiler or the goal of any good compiler, right, is to um, discard things that are useless work. Right. Um, so if you, for example, if you write a loop um, that does nothing, right, from, you know, for whatever, i equals zero all the way up to 100, and then it does literally nothing, there's nothing in the curly braces afterwards, a good compiler should, should see that and then just kill it, right, and say, well, I'm not doing this because this is just wasted cycles. Um, or if there are, like, uh, you know, elements of that loop that, that just turn it into no-ops, it, it, you know, should just not do that, which is actually kind of funny because when I was doing the Swift analysis and... Um, I remember I coded something to look at branch prediction latency or something like that. And it was like really, really elementary. And I looked at it and I was like, any good compiler, I think I sent it to Ryan and he was like, any good compiler should not execute any of this code. <laughs> and if, like it shouldn't, like it was just the, well, it's like, if you sim- don't use the results, a lot of compilers will just not run. Like if, if there's no possibility that you ever use the results of the function, yeah. then it's going to get tossed out. And yeah. I think that's what happened there. Exactly. So, like, whatever, it did this optimization, and it, you know, their their performance skyrocketed. And uh, then ABI research or whatever, some, I don't know, some people did a, an analysis of Clovertrail and said it was, like, better than every single ARM architecture that was out there or something ridiculous. And they apparently based it off of Antutu. And Only Antutu. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> like, created, one other thing. <laughs> and that created this huge mess. So my feelings on it are Antutu, Geekbench quadrant like all of this stuff they can be useful from a microkernel like comparison level right if you want to know has uh you know crate 400 is its is its are its alu pipes better than crate 300 because uh, you have these like little tiny tests that are effectively just a ton of ads and we need tools like that to, to measure stuff like well have alus you know improved in performance or is you know multiplier integer divide latency longer right um so that kind of stuff is useful but the problem is people take antutu and or quadrant or any of this stuff and they use it and they run a benchmark on it and they're like well this means that this phone is better than this phone and oh, that's no, where... they just extrapolate everything out of like just a couple subtests yeah 
And and that's the problem. And I, I wrote this in an email to someone in the industry um, recently, and I, I sent it to you too, Brian. And yep. I was like, the problem with all of these like uh, very low-level microkernel benchmarks is that they are ripe for compiler optimization. So at some point, when this matters enough, especially when we start involving companies that have really, really good compilers and good compiler teams, all of them are going to get optimized for it. Right, like it's of course, yeah. This is inevitable. That it happened with Antutu just means that you shouldn't be using Antutu for anything other than like an academic assessment of some part of an SOC, and that's it. Well, and then Antutu they changed the compiler for the NDK, which affected all this, like just yes. for no reason. And I don't track Antutu versions because I don't use it, but I, I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't in the notes. You know. Um, <clears throat> And again, my reaction is like, if you're using Antutu, like you were wrong to begin with. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, this is a non-issue, except like yeah. if you were stupid enough to believe that Antutu um, or just like five tests are the definitive word on any part. Yeah. So so that was the Antutu thing. And, and we didn't address it because one, um, Antutu, and, and two, <laughs> right? Like because, one, it's no, Antutu. it's true because Antutu, period. Yeah. And and then two, it's a it's a benchmark issue. It's an issue with a benchmark that we don't use that we haven't used, and uh, and, and I've never used ever. Yeah, and yeah I, actually, and I've said publicly I will never use. Like I won't use it until I have a long list. And um, period. I've been very open about that. So and don't what's act hilarious is the worst part of all of our investigations in the benchmark boost. Is that we've had like I've installed Antutu and Quadrant more now than I have in my entire life. Like I've <laughs> yeah, because this is a target for yeah. Um, I mean, it is widespread. Let's be honest; it's a very popular test. Absolutely. Um, as a result, it is going to get gamed, and apparently, mm-hmm. it is gamed like doubly. We saw it get gamed twice. Yep. So, um, so that's more checks in the boxes against it than for it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's one of the reasons that I um, included Kraken when we were doing... Like, we didn't need another JavaScript-based test, but SunSpider became such a... Like, hey, everyone's just going to make this number as low as possible, and no one used Kraken. So at least that bought us another, whatever, right. year and a half until someone starts optimizing for that. Well, and um, Google Octane, too, although obviously Google will do whatever it can to f- yes. make V8 competitive against Octane. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, we, uh, SunSpider is very much um, an optimization target. And I remember mm-hmm. the first time I ran SunSpider on a device, I wasn't thinking at all. Wow, in like four years, this is going to become like, you know, something I see in an Apple keynote or like something I see in a <laughs> Windows Phone keynote. Like here, yeah. we're so good at this. But then you clearly suck at other things, <laughs> you know. So it's just like, okay, it's kind of obviously you've you know made sure that you have all your cases and everything in here just really well optimized. I remember um, when I was meeting with an SSD manufacturer back in like 2009 or 2010, and this was SSD benchmarks at the time were really, really bad. Everyone was still running like the old hard drive tests of just do like a big sequential write and, you know, call it a day. Across all OBAs. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, look, this is why you're not catching behavioral issues. And this is why you're not like catching actual like reliability problems. And everyone's first question to me, including this company, was, okay, give us a list of everything you run. And I would <laughs> and you tell were like, them, hell no. Well, no, actually, I said, look, I'll show you everything I run that I can share with you. But this is not the right optimization point because that's not what I'm looking at going forward. 
right? I don't just pick one set of things and then run that indefinitely. You have to keep kind of staying ahead of the curve when it comes to any of the sort of testing. And it's not just for optimization, right? Like it's, even if you look at the cadence with our SSD benchmarks, um, each time, like if you look at the storage suite from 2010, 2011, and then the 2013, each jump was designed to address a different weakness that existed in the industry at the time, sure. right? So the first one was, hey, we need something that like, you know, is decent and, and isn't just a sequential write test. Then the second one was, hey, no one's actually doing good garbage collection or good management of spare area, so we need to really hammer on that. And then the third one was, okay, everyone's doing you know a decent job in those areas. Now we need to focus on uh, response time and I/O consistency. And I feel like that's like benchmarking 101. Like you have to continually right. stay ahead of what everyone is optimizing for. Um, well, I mean, the other thing is that. Um... I get, I mean, we get regularly asked, what are the tests you run? And my response is always go read a review. Like to me, that just says you haven't read a review. Like you don't know what I'm running. So like, you just don't read good. Um, (laughs) so go read. And if you want me to like spell out exactly what I'm doing, then I know you're up to no good. Yeah. You know, like it's that simple. And, uh, I just have nothing else to say about it than, uh, you know, like there is a lot of lip service given both by these companies and other tech press about, well, experience matters more. Well, I would say to you, is that marketing or is that real? And look at what OEMs do. And is is this sort of um, effort to gain benchmarks a reflection of an honest effort to improve experience or an honest effort to improve how well they do in a table? And um, it's a rhetorical question, so I'll let you figure out the answer. <laughs> but uh, I believe that, that that word which gets parroted so much and that lip service is just entirely false. Yeah. And, 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 and I believe the assertion that, you know, like I, we're as much of a, a problem in that, you know, like I, we started running benchmarks, we got the industry here. Like that was inevitable. It was just a matter of time before somebody got smart enough to stop saying um, things are fast. Like that was my original motivation for doing this in college was I, I got sick of reading the sentence, the iPhone is fast yeah. and everything else feels slow. Like it was around the N900 review that I just, I had read this sentence so many times that I was like, well, why? And the, the only tools available at that time are still mostly the tools that we run today. And, um, you know, if you're going to say, that I'm I'm the problem or we're the problem or the benchmarks are the problem, you're wrong. The problem was uh, just there is no way to codify performance. And my objective was always to codify performance by any means necessary, using any tools necessary. And that's the end result and the end goal. And I don't believe that we're perfect. I don't believe that any of the tests are perfect. But if you honestly believe the better result is to not run anything, then you're just wrong, objectively wrong. And yep. I'll stop listening to you. Right. And that's the truth. And I just love when people say this because like it's short sighted and it's wrong. And I have nothing else more. I have nothing more to say about it because. Well, it's hilarious because if you look at um, like I feel very strongly about this. No. (laughs) And it's not just you. Right. Like you look at how. um, So take how Apple develops this stuff. They put in all of you know, they decide, look, this is going to be the spec for the next device. They build the device. And the question then is. Do they sit there and use the device and say, yeah, it feels fast? Right. Or, <laughs> right. I mean, this they... is just hilarious. Like, I I'm, I'm, I'm feel sorry for people that you have to explain this, but, but continue, right? Because that's not how it works, right? They have a really cool set of internal tools 
Um, they actually have like a really, really cool internal test that they use to kind of gauge performance and measure it, right? So that they can go and justify, well, this is why we spent this much on this silicon. And that's why we put this size of a cache versus this and why we went this wide on the execution units, right? Th these are all things that they have to quantify because otherwise you can't really say, yeah, it was worth funding you know, the production of the A7, <laughs> right? Because we got this. You can't Ten just times be like, well, $10 million was just for fun. Yeah, or because it, yeah, it, it feels fast. Like, no amount of engineering <laughs> ever. Like, no, you can't, like, be an engineer and, and do stuff like that. Um, and, and, yeah, a lot of my frustration is, too, that I know that OEMs, I know Apple has this tool, I know Google has their tools. Um, so they, they have the bottom line, right? They can trace Android. Obviously, Apple can trace their own performance at a system level. Yep. And part of the problem is that because we've moved to these mobile platforms that are ultimately sandboxed and the benchmark can only run inside of its own benchmark, there's really no equivalent to like PCMark or SysMark or anything that Correct. sort of launches apps that you can say like these are used on a daily basis. And as a result, it's always going to be somewhat synthetic. It's always going to be contrived. It's never going to be native unless you root the device. And the, this this expectation that like I'm going to go find a zero day for each version of Android, I'm going to go root <laughs> it, you know, inside the 48 hours that I have to review a device. This is what I always just laugh. Like people say, like, why don't you do this? I just laugh because again, I'm like I'm doing. It's impossible. There's no possible yeah. way. I, I challenge you to do it. Please do it because it's impossible. And oh, that's what I want. That's what I want. And I would love to be able to do that sort of thing. And the yeah. only thing that's ever come close was Basemark OS. Like, I loved Basemark OS because they had a list of apps. They would run through these things. They would do things like add, add calendar entries, add SMSs, remove the SMSs, add emails, remove the emails. You could launch custom apps. You, like, you could do stuff like this. It was the closest I've ever seen to yeah. an actual system test. And what happened to it? None of the OEMs, none of the silicon vendors liked it because they couldn't cheat at it. And so it <laughs> got killed. And and if you want to point at something and say, like, wow, I've just totally lost faith in this industry, I would point to that. And that's what I've told people. Like, if you can emulate that and you, you can get me something that you can prove to me is the instruction mix for Android or is the instruction mix for an actual OS and actual, actually reflects system performance, I will use it day and night. Like, you will see it. I will sing its praises from the rooftops as the be-all, end-all. But until then, I have to work with these tools that honestly are garbage Right, and it goes in every single review. So, um, <laughs> I'd say like my mission is not yet finished here to get to the end of like codifying what what makes things fast. Yeah, and um, when it is, then maybe I'll be done. Like we can just turn off the lights and go home, you know, because then uh, the reviews will write themselves. Right, like you just run this thing and it'll be like, oh, this is fast. Like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, but no, I, uh, I think we're better off today than we were when we first started. We're not at the end, um, but the end will come. Like I don't like. There's no. There's no question of if. It's just a question of how messy is the journey going to be between now and then. Um, I, I go back and forth. I think it's going to be very messy because it's a lot harder to gain insight into what's going on because of the sandbox model. Because everything in the mobile space is a black box by design. Um, because open is tossed around like just some meaningless word. Uh, yeah. Because nothing is really Linux anymore. Like, Android isn't really Linux. Um, and again, because the OEMs collude with the semiconductor manufacturers, collude with the benchmark manufacturers, 
and uh, all this happens behind everybody's back. And I would be very surprised if any of the other tech press had visibility into this as much as we did. And and I and like most of it doesn't get written about because you know you have to honor embargoes and NDAs. Yeah. And um, I would say like my level of uh, loss of faith just like keeps going downhill. <laughs> I know you like, and this has been a theme. Like you, you're very optimistic because you've lived through this before. Yeah. Um, because this is my first real visibility into this from this side. And like I've kind of watched the downhill march and like how often I get lied to and how much everybody else gets lied to. And by the way, that's the theme of this week is just lying, cheating, and um, damn statistics. Uh, that yeah, I'm just like there's no end to the lies. Like I tell people I'm tired of being lied to. And then what happens? I get lied to. Yeah. So, you know, because I don't mind being lied to. I just mind being lied to when it's like you're not smart enough to figure out why I'm lying to you. Or you're, you're never going to detect that I'm lying to you. No, so I think a couple of things will come that'll change this, right? One, um, all of the really good tools exist for Windows, and because Microsoft has like royally screwed up its Windows Phone strategy, we don't inherit any of those tools, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> right. I feel like, I, right? I mean, like that's the truth. That's I sad, think there, but true. there is some hope in Windows RT, um, and we've already kind of seen a little bit of that. Um, I wish I could gener- review Windows RT devices because finding out what's inside is as easy as going to the device manager. <laughs> I know, There's no amazing. device manager for iOS or Android. Like, what do you think I do all day? <laughs> no, I know. That's, that's, um, so I, I think there's, there's potential there, right? And if Windows RT and Windows 8, like, actually, you know, get appreciable more traction, um, and, and people start targeting some of their high-end silicon there, then that lets us do some evaluations at a, at a better level than what we can do in Android and iOS today. Um, so there's that. The other thing is, as um, the developer making money on Android or just everyone making money on Android story gets better, then you're more likely to see a lot of the guys who've built the really, really awesome tools um, on the desktop side come over and address that as well. Um, right, and this platform I'm, has gotten a lot better. So I guess you know, like we do have tools that don't um, just have horrible, atrocious UIs anymore. Yes. So that's gotten better, and I know the the folks who were responsible for all the big, you know, benchmark suites on the PC side, they are also looking at this. But it has to hit like a certain dollar value for them to to start investing in it. Um, and by the way, the customers are the OEMs and semiconductor manufacturers. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I, 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 I don't know. This is always like a great, um, you know, heads and tails sort of discussion between you and I because right. you bring like cynicism that's really necessary. And I because I'm like, just used to getting lied to. Like I, yeah. I really, I'm like whatever. Don't even talk to me. Like I really like because you're just gonna lie. Give me the device. <laughs> give me the kernel source. Um, give me like a couple days to reverse engineer it, and then I'll know the truth. Yeah, and that's right. that's and then, good, and then right? I want to point out as well that they are trying every single time that I mention this is how I found something else, it'll get locked down, yes. and that's what really pisses me off too. Is that um, because I kind of started this out in a naive fashion, and I was like just very open about telling you how I found something or like correct. Here's the full and disclosure. you'll remember I'll always go back to you and and be like, look, you shouldn't write that. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, like I don't want to, I don't want to be like sneaky about it, or you know, yeah. like have people be like, I want to replicate this. I'll go tell them. Like if you ask me, I'll go tell you. But now I'm like, I'm just done with the goodwill. You know, yeah. I will not tell you. 
And I think that's that's really depressing. Like I've watched my behavior change and it's a reflection of not what I want to be and not yeah. what I want the disclosure to be. And um, that's just unfortunate. Like I, the stuff gets locked out, you know, and it, nothing has really affected the bottom line yet. But I know that maybe that day's coming. You know, yeah. when, when it comes, then what do I do? Like I'm just back to like this is fast or like this no, is so janky, I, you know. Like, I, I don't think we'll get there. Right. Or, or if we do, I think there's a clear hammer that, that can be used. Right. I think if you sure. look at um, like that's that's the power of what's been happening. Right. We've the goal here was to establish us as like a, a good source for information in, in mobile. Right. A trusted source. Then it's, well, how do you establish yourself as, you know, kind of uh, I don't want to say like the source, but, you know, a source that some some are more than reputable. Yeah. And so I feel like in, in a lot of senses, we've established that. And now the trick is, well, you don't want them to say something about you that makes you that, that that's not good. Right. And I don't want it to get to the point where we have to start taking people to task for locking things down and obscuring things. Right. And that's why, you know, we gave Samsung credit for, hey, thanks for at least letting us look into this. Right. right? Like they right. don't there. No. I mean, I looked at the. um uh, the MediaTek platform, right? I was really they, happy that, yeah, we mentioned that because right? it is it is very open that uh, they could have done everything in their power to just not expose that at all, and I would be absolutely. none the wiser. Yeah, so so it's they it's I, I'm sure which is entirely what's coming. Like it's just it'll just disappear. Yeah, and I'm sure internally there's a lot of pressure to say, well, hey, look, we shouldn't have given these guys access to even do this, but. Kudos to them to, like, even exposing this, right? I think that's a very good thing. Now, the question is, and, and you know, we've spent, like, almost an hour trying to, uh, like, in a roundabout way, get to what we expect the solutions to be here, and then the other side of it, which is the CPU side, which we'll get to next. Um, you know, what do we expect to come of all of this? And I think we outlined two possible outcomes, right? One, you expose, and honestly, I would love to see this, right? We already have a developer mode in, in all of these devices, Give us control over the governors. Give us control over if you believe that this higher frequency um, and voltage state on your GPU is truly safe where you can run it indefinitely in a benchmark, give end users access to turn that on and off. And give end users access to turn it on in any application they want to if you believe it's safe. Like it's not going to permanently damage your device. Right. If there I said doubt, that I wanted that with Windows Phone 7, by the way. The like yes. equivalent of high performance, balanced, and then power saver. Yeah, you should and, be able and to And you go saw in. Asus did, did that on a bunch of their tablets. I don't know if it yep. still exists. They have, like, a power saver, you know. So I feel like they used to do it more because everyone... And I think it was premature, right? Like, it sure. ultimately ended up being where, like, the high-performance mode wasn't really worth it because you were getting, like, another, whatever, 100 megahertz. Um, and I think that's because no one's doing, like, proper um, thermal management, thermal and power management at the SOC level yet. Um once we get like true bona fide turbo, then all of this changes and we have a different discussion. Right. But we're still in that like Penryn, Nehalem sort of turbo that that's that, that we're dealing with right now. Um, or I guess still pre-Nehalem. Um, Fake turbo. Yeah. It's like they just advertise the max turbo frequency as the, the stock frequency. Yep. It's, it's a thermally unconstrained frequency that uh, you don't really want to run at. Um, I don't even want to run at. Like, if you give me a toggle to say, don't ever reach this frequency, I will gladly tick it. <laughs> right? Like, that's not what I want. 
Um, right. So anyways, that was the one option, right? Expose all of this to the end user. Let them toggle it on or off. Or if for whatever reason we can't do that, just remove it, right? Like it's, it's um, you know, I, I said this to uh, someone else working at one of these device companies. And I was like, look, anytime you have to have a list of benchmarks and you change behavior based on that list, you you got to stop. Like, I, I don't care. It's just not going to, even if you're doing it altruistically, it's not going to look good. Like, it's just going to make you no, have... No, it doesn't look good. Yeah, it speaks it's for not, itself. It, it's going to give you, you're going to have a bad time. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, those you are the two options. You make a list of apps, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, you are. I mean, you are. Like, it's it's, even if you're doing it for the right reasons, it doesn't look good, right? It really doesn't look good. Um, it's just like, you know, I remember we were doing like a, uh, fake infiltration into someone's house thing for someone's birthday once, like years ago. Oh, really? And I remember, yeah, I what remember being this, I've never heard this story of fake no. infiltration. Yeah. Well, it was like one of these things where like, um, we were at a birthday dinner with this guy. Oh, you weren't doing um, like to catch a thief or anything? No, 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 no. We weren't. This was like his birthday. Right. So we took him out and, and then you uh, robbed this house. No, we, we, we had a big birthday dinner for him and we were at some house and he went to go to the bathroom. We wrote him a note and we all left the house and told him like the note was like, Hey, we gave him like a little duffel bag full of things that he could use to like, we went to one of our other friends' houses or something and we gave him a duffel bag of things he could use to get into the house. And none of which were keys. No, none of which were keys. Um, and like, you know, we all had like little guard state. It sounds super dorky, but we all had like little areas that we'd patrol and, you know, we explained the rules of how we'd patrol. It turned into like a sneaky FPS sort of thing. Um, this sounds actually kind of cool. Yeah, it was, it was fun. And like each person was guarding one of his gifts, right? So like you had, and he had like a, I don't know, like a cardboard tube that he could use to neutralize one of us or something. Oh, not a taser. I would have no, been like, not he a had taser. a taser. He would just tase yeah. you, bro. And he could, like, pick up whatever weapon we dropped, and, like, we weren't allowed to, like, just, you know, wake up and kill him afterwards. Like, it was... <laughs> I mean, it had rules established. Um, I don't actually remember why I'm telling this story. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how this has <laughs> This is a cool story. <laughs> it had something to do with a whitelist, because you gave him the list of, like, things he could try to do. I, no, I don't actually. I have no idea. You how forgot this is where you were telling it. I was like, yeah. I would just get my li- my lock picks and just pick my way into the house. <laughs> no, he ended up not being able to. Like, he couldn't complete the mission. We made it because obviously, like, you need. I thought like, it was gonna be like and... he 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 like just accidentally killed a friend. That would be really bad. <laughs> the way no, the story ends in a hospital visit. <laughs> actually, at one point. They found this was like in a, a neighborhood where there was like some new construction. So at one point he found like a ladder and oh. like a different house being built and like infiltrated through an upstairs window, which was kind of cool. But the, the level was impossible, right? Cause like, if you look at how they build like uh, levels in like Splinter Cell or FPS, they're like huge. Right. And this yeah. was just like a normal house that he was trying to infiltrate with like eight guards inside. Right. So it didn't, it didn't work well. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I don't know how this at all relates to what we were talking about, but there's that story. That's a cool um, story. <laughs> Okay, Not so the second half knows. of this, <laughs> the second half of this, um, well, you would know it was from one of Manny's part, uh, birthday was in in um, college. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so th- that's the GPU side of it. Um, I what I would love to see is for none of this get to get locked down, and for them to either likely just remove the optimization. I think you do that, we're okay. I'd love to see um, every app get five thirty two. Like I don't know why you wouldn't do it. Unless I don't there's want... something wrong with 532. 
Well, one, I'm not sure that that would necessarily be like safe for like long term use. Um, well, that's their problem, and, not mine. Like it's there. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Ostensibly, two, it was safe before. Yeah, I'm doing well, air quotes. Know. Yeah, because yeah. it's not. Uh, so then the other thing is, I don't like I already said I don't want to operate at that point in the the um, perf power curve, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want you to I want to encourage people to pull back. Um, huh. So that that would be my preference. Well, I want but, the power saver mode again. You see a lot of OEMs making a power saver mode, so yeah, that you can't ever me... get into these you know higher voltage states that are just dramatically higher. Like it starts going up exponentially. But they don't give me granular control over what's happening there, right? Like if I would say do that, that there is no OEM that is going to do exactly what you want. That's good. I'm, I'm I'll, I'll be happy with that. So the second aspect of all of this is. Um, on the CPU side. So you found this, um, like yeah. you did all of this work on the GPU side, and then I get the, oh man, I am from you. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just kept getting worse. Like, yeah. this is just, it's been like, it just keeps getting worse. This is why, like, I don't want to go digging anymore because you just yep. keep finding more lies. And this is now, this is exactly why I don't want to look into EMMC and SD card reliability. I really want you to, though. <laughs> like, I would love to see. The SD card story, like, you know, Bunny Huang, I can't, I'm butchering his name, but the guy that hacked the Xbox yeah, published that awesome story about, like, his experience with Chumbi, who, which he also made. I mean, yes. this guy's a legend, and he, like, tracked down this bad batch of SD cards, like, That's all true. the way down that. to the controller. And um, I, so this is why, I, like, I can't review SD cards, because I'm like, That's the bar, you know? <laughs> and it's like, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Exactly. And uh, I want to go all the way. And if you go all the way, then you just like, it, you literally do have an acid trip. But it's not because you dropped acid. It's because then you realize everything around you is a lie. You know? <laughs> like you just discover all this stuff and you're like, wow, what is real anymore? Well, what I found when I was doing all the SSD stuff um, back in like the late 2000s was that it just increased the amount of times that I got yelled at during the day. Oh, yeah, no, me too. I try to work by the decreasing the yelling optimization function, but I, I get yelled at, like, I'm at a point where I get, like, it's a balance between yelled at by readers, like, you're not going fast enough or doing enough, and then the OEMs who are there, like, you're doing too much. Like, I'm right in well, between. So like, I've optimized the yelling. I'm, I'm okay with the readers yelling at me because, like, they... Oh, no, me too. They keep me honest. Yeah, and the other thing is they're not physically yelling at me. Right, like the problem with the company is their yelling is more. I take it more to heart. Like the OEM yelling at me, I generally know I'm doing something right, but I still don't like it. No, it sucks because it's usually like for me, I get yelled at unexpectedly at meals. That just (laughs) seems to be the case. Like this is why I don't want to meet face to face. (laughs) I sit down at a meal and I'm like, oh, what am I going to order? And then usually before (laughs) I determine or before I place my order, I'm getting yelled at. Just like a drink thrown in your face. They're like, we sit down. They're like, hey, how's it going? By the way, like, here's a drink yeah. for your no, no. face. So I, it, it hasn't. It's gotten like close. Like a few times where I'm like, I don't know if like physical violence is going to happen here. <laughs> See, but, but that's really good. That means you're doing your job right. Yeah, as yeah, much it as this sucks. Painful. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I don't. No one likes getting yelled at. Like, well, you know, not... I still half expect like I was just going to get assassinated when I got home. You know, like, I'm ready, but at the same time, like, please don't. <laughs> okay, so the other side of the story is, so you do all of this, and then I get the O-Man followed by a screenshot. And the <laughs> screenshot is, 
um, hey, it looks like not quite as bad, but it looks like a lot of folks, upon detecting certain um, applications, benchmarks, they immediately throttle up all their CPU cores to you know either a max state or something really close to a max state. They'll still be idle, but instead of idling at like whatever three to five hundred megahertz, they're idling at one point seven gigahertz, just waiting for you to run the benchmarks so right. you get like the best score possible. They plug them all in and then they yep. send them all to max frequency. Yep. Now the difference, and and it's important to to distinguish this from you know the benchmark boost stuff. The difference here is they're sending all the cores to a frequency that is attainable by any application, right? right. So if you had a multi-threaded application and you weren't running into like a skin junction temperature issue and like it's, you know, the the workload was was hefty enough for you to run all four cores at 1.7 gigahertz, right. you would get the same behavior, right? So that's why it's different than exposing a higher frequency that no one else can ever get. Exactly. Um, so there's that difference, but there's still the fact that, yeah, you're kind of optimizing for these tests just in kind of a funny way. Right. Um, well, and, and, and I the don't... worst part is that, and this was a concern earlier, um, like two years ago, I had heard, because um, I had tested a particular device that had this turned on uh, by mistake. It was not intentional. It was across all of Android, everywhere the governor was set to performance. So it was the max cores frequency all cores plugged in and this other oem came back and said well this isn't representative and we're pissed off at you so you got the yelling going on and uh, my <laughs> but was it at a meal before you'd ordered your food no no it was just over the <laughs> phone like i'm okay with over the phone yelling like that's yeah. fine although it's a little bit disconcerting because you can't like you can't get the benefit of their body language which i find is oftentimes like 95 percent of the angry you know, like they're just like shaking. They're so mad. Yeah. Um, you mad, bro? <laughs> like that sort of thing. But no, no. But so this, and I thought it. I thought it had stopped there because um, my response was, you know, like, well, I couldn't. I can't change it. Uh, they screwed up, and it didn't really affect performance. It was just like very stable. But uh, apparently, this is a big thing now, and um, because I thought it was dealt with then, and that we weren't going to do this again, I wouldn't have to like search for it every time yeah but uh somewhere in the last like two years this has become commonplace and like you said it's not nearly as bad because it's not like i'm exposing additional 10 percent and clocks just to a preferential app list i'm just always exposing the maximum core frequency and all the cores plugged in yeah when i fire so, up these things so what it does do is it creates consistent benchmarks which part of me appreciates but it right. also creates because that's a um, headache for us it is it is um but it also creates like uh hey you're going to like it's a bad idea because you'll actually throttle quicker um right and i want to make clear that it appears that the vast majority of cases with the cpu side of it still do throttle yes uh, whereas what's unique about the samsung case is literally all thermal constraints are secondary. They are all removed. So, I mean, I've been trying really not, hard. Like, I was just going to... I told you over chat. Like, I was ready to make the phone melt down. Like, I wanted a fire. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I was ready for it. And there were a couple times, like, I thought literally the phone was going to begin to melt. Uh, because <laughs> the skin temperature was so high. But uh, to their credit, their plastic is uh, very thermally resistant. Like, I remember the 3GS. Remember they had some white 
issues that were turning yellow with that SOC because mm-hmm. it was getting so hot before they kind of like patched it and you know like constrained it, um, which obviously just means they brought their TDP down in software. But uh, when it's entirely removed, yeah, like literally you could just melt down your phone. And I'd love to see that happen. Like I would love to see it, like nothing would please me more than to have a fire. Uh, just because like it would prove the point that this is unsafe. Like literally not even, we're not even to a point where you're just cheating at a number. Like this is a first world problem. It's like you are just burning down my house, you know? <laughs> but anyways, yeah, the, the other OEMs... Um, still run the thermal constraints. Yes. And they, th- this includes Samsung, right? The U.S. version of the Galaxy S4 also right. has the same behavior. Exactly. The the Fusion 3 platform, which is APQ8064 plus MDM9615, or M9215, still has the thermal constraints turned on, as far as I can tell. Yep. Uh, and I confirmed uh, there's no funny GPU stuff going on there as well, um, compared to the HTC One. That's like this is a purely uh, a CPU thing. Um, right, and that goes for basically all the other test cases that I've seen. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, like, and, and people have been asking me, um, and I'm asking you as well. Is that okay? Yeah, and I don't, I don't, we don't have a response. Like, I don't, I, I don't know I what don't to know say. what to deal with. I don't know what to do with it because it's just as, it, it's bad. It's not nearly as bad as yeah. the GPU thing. The thing is that I don't want to look, you know, like I'm being preferential about one or the other. Correct, and uh, obviously, and we're, we're not we're the morality police now. either, right? No, like, I'm not. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> like that's not that's not what we're trying to be here. Um, but I, I don't it's know. It's not okay. Like, it's not nearly as bad. But I would correct. say if you have a list, that's bad. And the other thing is that if your test doesn't do doesn't send the CPU states to the max, that's bad. And correct, and that's the, if your DVFS is that screwed up, that's that's like you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you know, like I'm I'm making a face, like you're doing it very wrong. <laughs> And that's your problem. And if your fix for that is to just go for go look for a list and then send it to Max so that I can't see it, um, that's really sad. Like I'm sad for you from an engineering perspective that that's your response yeah. because that that just again this is this is all the same problem which we went over earlier, and that's that DVFS is in software versus hardware. Yep. In the ARM land and um, the Linux kernel has the CPU freak. Uh, architecture and obviously Intel is moving all of that off. Like they're going to do it the right way, um, even though they did it the wrong way before, and yep. they're going to do it the right way now. And so, like, they're not even. And it's not going to be like totally the right way. It's going to be like where we were with Nehalem, you know, yeah. <laughs> or it's like post Nehalem. Um, oh. I can't tell if we're well, quite where at is, Sandy What's version. the ISA for Bay Trail? I keep forgetting. Um, Bay Trail. The equivalent is... ISA. It's not. It's not latest core, so it's like still no, no, behind. No. I think it's it's Westmere, isn't it? Oh yeah, you're right. It is Westmere. Yeah. So we're, I mean, basically, you're getting a Westmere in a lower power platform. I mean, that, and that tells you where things kind of started being taken seriously, or like when. Yes. Um, which I just love because it's still like it's not it's still a second class citizen. Yep. Well, that, that's what's really interesting to me in that um, it's so refreshing to be covering like in the ARM diaries covering all the ARM architectures because ARM is preaching. ISA convergence across big, medium, and, and little cores. Whereas in the Intel space, like I have this, well, yeah, they're ISA compatible, but not fully. Like you can't do some right. of this stuff on here. Now, now to Intel's credit, like they're talking 512-bit AVX right, and some of that up. makes no sense on mobile, so that's Correct. fine. But I mean, the core stuff, uh, 
you would expect logically would be the same. Like I want the yeah. same I want the same internal architecture. Like you can be guaranteed the micro ops, you know, like the risk machine running inside x86, like yeah. a layer of abstraction below is different. I'm not asking for like all the fancy SSE stuff, yeah. all the fancy, you know, vector stuff. I'm asking for like the basic stuff. Right. So what's interesting is um the problem is Intel will give us that but at a price. And <laughs> And that's and it won't the, be the, the problem. ten dollars to twenty dollars. No, that's the problem. It's the price thing. Now, here's where ARM comes in handy. If ARM is to like really, really threaten, really threaten Intel outside of or even in mobile, right? If they get really aggressive with performance there, then I think Intel's solution has to be to bring Core into Ultra Mobile. Um, well, you know, I think long term already Core is starting to move towards Ultra Mobile. Like absolutely. obviously Haswell is a mobile prioritized part. Yep. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm not giving enough credit that it's they're not taking mobile seriously because they were willing to make accommodations in this architecture that's going to go into servers as well. Yeah. No, we went from you know, 130 watts, right, not too long ago to, yeah, we're, you know, we can maybe stick this thing in like an iPad. Not a phone. Right. Yet, but, you know, like, and, that's a... You know, I was thinking, too, they brought VREGs inside. That's essentially the purpose of a PMIC in these mobile devices, Yep, and um, none of the SOCs have a PMIC that's built in. Like, why do I have this discrete big thing? And really, the PMIC is what does all the stuff, like watching for interrupts, like from the power button, from sensors to like wake up the AP. And if my understanding is right, all of that is brought into this module that you know does that in Haswell. So they're they're clearly laying the groundwork for some of this from an architectural perspective. And like the grand scheme of things, like they're really high up, like here's what chips I'm going to make do what. Yeah. So um, they have some vision, like it just isn't there yet. Yep. And No, they, they're, their whole thing is, uh, you know, get in at a low, you know, something that we can sustain uh, and then start integrating enough of the external stuff to make our chip worth more. And right. That's how you eventually do it, right? Because they have to take a larger portion of the bomb. They won't, Intel won't do the whole, someone makes $500 and I make 20 bucks. Like, that's not going to happen. Um, just, just it, it, maybe that's the only option and maybe they, you know, become a company that's half the size. But I think their attempt is, no, if someone's spending $500 on something, I'm going to get a bigger portion of that than I'm getting today. Um Right. I'm I'm frustrated, honestly, not from um, a lack of execution from them on the CPU side. I am frustrated on a lack of execution and vision on the mobile side. Yes. Where I'm talking like mobile radio, um, what you're doing with Infineon, what you're doing with your Wi-Fi, what you're doing with your GPS. I'm frustrated because I don't have any visibility into like what their roadmap is in like the next year, two years, three years. So I think part of that is... They had a, you know, when they did that big reorg, uh, well, they've done a lot of reorgs, but when they did that one big reorg where uh, they created the mobile and comms group, one of the things they did with that reorg, that's when Mike Bell and and Herman and everyone, you know, got into their positions. Um, And it's critically important that they get more power or at least equivalent power. Correct. Um, One of the big things that they had to do was, hey, we don't actually have a low power Wi-Fi solution. Right, right. like have... that's what blows my mind. Like, thank you. They don't have a combo solution. Yep. And in Medfield, they're shipping literally a TI Wi-Fi thing. Like that's yep. that's the reference design in Clover Trail Plus. It's still the TI Y Link, 
like six, seven, eight series. No, and so this was when did this happen? Was this last year or the year before? It was no no earlier than two years ago where they started at like, hey, we don't we have no lower power Wi-Fi solution. So they assembled a team, and their goal was to go fix this. Um, so they, there are people at least working on it now, but they were working on it way after the fact. And you also have to remember that, truth be told, no one has been successful within Intel other than the big CPU guys. Like they, no one. You even look at the SSD group; they're doing really, really well. Oh, you but mean successful then, from a support standpoint, or successful correct. from, from a like a, from from like an no, no, monetarily, you know, the SSD group is profitable. They're they're around. They're doing good stuff, but they can't go in and start making crazy demands from you know Mother sure. Intel. Right. Well, that's a chicken and egg problem. I mean, that's a that's a bean counter problem. Ultimately, I mean, it I is. don't mean to offend accountants out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I will say that I'm not a bean counter. I never will be. Like I did engineering, but I can understand that. Yeah, they they do need to, you know, like sort of say we have this much volume. Yeah. Give us the tools to go a little bit more. But in this but case, I... it's like we have a small volume compared to the core business. We need a lot more dollars to really like stay. You know, like yeah. This it's it's the long term vision. Like it's the same problem that Nvidia had. But I think you look at um, Brian Krasanich, BK, another person with, you know, your initials, um, <laughs> new CEO of Intel, one of his, like, first public statements was, hey, mobile's real, like, important to us, and we might even see a situation where Atom is prioritized in terms of manufacturing process. And it right. was one I, line. That made me really happy. Dude, I never thought we would see that day. That line alone is so huge. And, you know, I, it's not easy to get to that point, but uh, that's, like, that's a very, very big deal. Um, that's, that's sort of like admitting you have a problem. You yeah, know, no, it totally is. Like, in, that's uh, the first step. First step in addiction to servers is admitting you have a mobile problem. <laughs> exactly. So there's that. Um, anyways, that kind of wraps up Benchmark Boost. There's a whole bunch of other stuff we want to talk about, though. You have... Yeah. <laughs> that's the first item on our list, and we're, like, Dude. an hour into this. Yeah, yeah, our and yes. Um, so here's the other thing. You, you've you been just ping-ponging over the country a bunch. And yeah. We, you, we didn't even cover the droids because, I mean, that would have been impossible. Like, it was the day before. Yes. Uh, Nexus 7, Android 4.3, all that stuff. Yep. Um, Maybe we should go in it, chronological order. Do, do Can we talk about that first? Which do you want to talk about first? Well, I think it should go um, Nexus, Nexus 7? 7, Android 4.3. That was the okay. first. All right, we'll do that. So Nexus 7. Um, I, I freaking love this thing. Can it's, I just say It's that? very good. <laughs> Dude, it is... Um, I, so the original Nexus 7 was awesome because old $200 tablets sucked when that thing came out, right? So and it they came were all out, like 10 inches too. Yeah, so this thing... And like the really small ones were terrible. Like they didn't run any remotely decent version of Android. And so whatever, this thing comes out and it's really cool because you can get fairly modern, like almost high-end hardware for 200 bucks, and that's awesome. The screen wasn't awesome. Like it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Um, but it was portable and it was just a great little device for $200. Well, and I really like that Google I.O. because like we got we got so much stuff there, I got spoiled. <laughs> You know, I mean, we got we got an update to the Galaxy Nexus that made things so much faster. We got, yeah. you know, Project Butter. We got a Nexus 7. Um, we got the Nexus Q, which, you know, everybody hated. 
Um, but it was the beginning of sort of like a serious TV effort beyond Google TV. Yep. Um, but yeah, the new Nexus 7 is like a dramatic step forward. And for whatever well, reason, it took forever to get and has been rumored forever and leaked. But So what's interesting to me is Google could have just as easily done the exact same thing, right? Deliver a value tablet at $200 and call it a day. But instead, like whatever, you pay another 30 bucks. But you actually get an amazing device, right? This is no longer just a value tablet. It is genuinely an awesome device. Like, I'm beyond right. in love with this thing. Right. They, it's, is this not the first Nexus device that actually has a color-calibrated screen, like a factory-calibrated screen to sRGB? Yeah, you know, like the, the PM said, uh, there are two calibration steps. There's the first, which takes place um, by JDI on sort of like a panel level. And then there's the second that takes place during final assembly, and uh, what I saw in the test was uh, very good. And actually, Dude, it's like you know what surprised me is that like I don't I don't have an iPad Mini. I'm not much of a tablet person. Uh, I'll be honest, all my tablets sit in like a little pile, and um, <laughs> I just never use them because like I can smuggle a laptop into any social situation. I could smuggle a tablet, <laughs> which is what tablets are for, I believe. Yeah. But uh, but, but anyways, I, I didn't really realize until I was doing this review and making the tables that the iPad mini had such a terrible display from a color calibration standpoint. Yep. And, uh, like I thought it was just like bad resolution, but, uh, good calibration. Cause Apple has kind of maintained this as being a priority for so long, but obviously in a bid to get to that point or whatever, something went to the wayside and that was the accuracy. And so the iPad mini, dis- I mean, uh, iPad mini display is really considerably worse than the one in the Nexus seven. Both from a so, resolution and color standpoint. The 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 frustrating thing to me is... Um, so, it, I love the Nexus 7's display. The new display is amazing. Um, it's I, Like, it looks great. Um, I even showed it to my friend Lyle. Um, and this guy's... I always use him as the example of why color calibration makes sense and why you need to invest time and money into it. Uh, he was never an Apple user, never a Mac user, never a, never owned an i anything. Uh, he gets an iPad three for Christmas, um, I guess a year or so ago, and he gets it, and he looks at the display, and he opens the Netflix app, and he's like, "I've never seen this color red before." And right, that's a good example of a place where you just never see. He's never seen the color red before. That color that was on the Netflix app, he's never seen on any computing device that he owned because he always owned normal PC laptops. Right. And he always had, like, normal, like, uncalibrated TN, whatever, cheap PC monitors. And he's just like, I've never seen this red before. And that was it for him. Anytime, it didn't matter what I got, right? Nexus 7, Nexus 10, Surface, Surface Pro, any of this stuff. I would show it to him. He would open up Netflix and be like, nope, that's not red. I'm not interested. And that was literally his reaction to everything. <laughs> that's a f- that's funny because I've noticed that too. Definitely, that the red uh, sort of changes. Well, so what's amazing is I get the Nexus Seven. I hand it to him. I don't say anything. Uh, like I was working on something else. I was actually working on the server stuff that I've been telling you about. So I was working on something else, and I hand it to him. Like, hey, this is the new Nexus Seven. I purposely don't say anything. He looks at it, plays around with it, and he's like, you know, that screen's not bad. It's not perfect, but it's not bad. And right. that's like the night and day between his reaction to the the new Nexus 7 and any other tablet other than his iPad. Um, And that's just, that to me was like external validation that, yep, they finally got it, and this is really good. Yeah, and so I don't mind the $30 extra. 
No, I'll gladly pay that. And like, then you, like, awesome job on your part. So we were all disappointed that, um, not disappointed, it's, you know, still only 230 bucks. but hey, this is, like, Crate 200-based. Sure. But you cracked the thing open, looked at the part number on the chip, and verified that even though it's 8960 Pro, this is actually effectively an underclocked Snapdragon 600. Right, it's a worse spin of the, the same thing. And my, my first clue was inside software. Um but then, yes, of course, we looked at the part number. Uh, it's AA1 or 1AA, I forget. And uh, that's that's a Crate 300 part. So, yeah. so you it's know, not you draw like the it's... stupid S4 Pro, and I say stupid because it is stupid. Like, I just I maintain it's stupid. S4 <laughs> Pro, Snapdragon 600 line, wherever you want. Which, literally, it's drawn in the middle of a single SOC. Like, I just, like, let, let me explain how stupid this is. It is drawn <laughs> arbitrarily... Through the middle of the APQ8064 like list of parts, like there are a bunch of parts, there are a gazillion bins, which isn't surprising. I mean, like that makes sense, uh, I guess. But uh, literally, it's drawn through the middle of them. So, you know, this happens to be on the S4 Pro boundary line, whereas yeah. other things are on the Snapdragon 600 boundary line. So again, I'm like, this is dumb, uh, whatever. But you know, like it's an S4 Pro, but really, it's a Snapdragon 600 at 1.5 gigahertz. Yep. And what's interesting to me is um, the difference in performance between the 1.5 and the 1.9 you get in a Galaxy S4 is actually not that great. Because if you look at, one, if you look at all four cores for an appreciable period of time running at max frequency, that 1.9 is going to start looking a lot more like a 1.5. Or a 1.3 or a (laughs) 0.918. Yeah, exactly. So, like, the SoC in it isn't bad at all. Um, and the thing is super fast, right? Like there's still, you get the little hitches every now and then, but I would, I say it's an appreciable yeah. performance difference between the old Nexus seven and this. No, um, I would, I would say like, I don't see any hitches. Like I use Android on a daily basis. Now when I hear people parrot the, like Android is slow and laggy line, like in the comments, uh, in person, I'm always just like, you don't, you like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like well, you so probably me, just use an iPhone all day, right? Like you don't use both for me where i notice it so i don't i don't um what i what i see isn't what i would consider lag right the thing is super responsive what i see is like you fire up um the play store app oh so a lot of this is like obviously there are apps that are terrible and the google play store app has always been terrible in fact i i even have seen um googlers or like they've said in person uh, the Play Store team is like just doing stupid stuff in their app, <laughs> and uh, you know uh, uh, a bunch of Did other you people. Just get someone fired? Is that what? what oh, I don't. I know. I don't think so. I mean, um, <laughs> even other people like uh, Francois, who I respect immensely, was just like, "What is this? Like, yeah. this is horrible. Like, the Play Store app is a piece of garbage." Yeah. And you know what? How many times have we completely redesigned the thing? And there's still like four or five x overdraw everywhere. <laughs> so, like, to me, that's just, like, you don't know what you're doing. And, um, you know, ultimately, not everybody can be as smart as they think they are. And, uh, like, obviously, some visual elements are just hard to do. And uh, as a result, like, you just see garbage. And, like, that's what I see in the Play Store app. So, so the rest w- of the first-party w- apps that are under AOSP are very good. Like, R- Romain Guy has to do all this profiling He's, like, spelled out, like, sometimes he'll do his thing where he's, like, let's take a look at this app that I really like that just draws really bad. And, like, I'm going to fix, I'm going to fix this for you. 
which he's done before, and you just see things that are ridiculous. Like, obviously, like, they'll block the rendering, you know, like, they'll block rendering with stuff on the main, on the wrong thread. Yeah. And uh, so I want to say that 4.3 adds a lot of features that make it very easy to profile and see when apps are hitching. And one of the big things is to be able to trace the GPU performance on the screen as bars or lines, which, again, we spelled out at I.O., which previously was very hard to do because you had to, like, basically pull this off the device, use an app to make a graph. I mean, actually use the graph to make an Excel document. And then you look, you graphed it inside of Excel. Now you can look at it on the device. So in 4.2, we got overdraw visualization. 4.3, we got GPU tracing on the device. Um, In some next release of Android, he's confirmed we will get overdraw region removal automatically, in which case the stupid in the Play Store will go away just automatically. So you can like overdraw like crazy and the offending regions will never get drawn. So, I mean, that's that's my explanation for um, why some things are stupid, is that you can still do stupid things. But, I mean, you can <laughs> still do stupid things on iOS, too. Yes. Now, so, I, I guess the... Whose problem is that? Like, I don't know. So, that, from my perspective, I feel like that's what people look at, and they say, hey, this isn't totally smooth. Um, hmm. But I think it... it it doesn't matter. Like the the device still feels fast. Yes. You have some animations in first party apps like the play store, um, that aren't perfect, but I don't know. It's still an amazing device. It still feels really, really fast. Like I'm actually surprised by how quick it feels. Um, and I'm surprised that like, I feel like there's an appreciable performance difference between the Tiger three base Nexus seven and this, like I, I, sure. Right. Even though they're just a year apart in release, I feel like a tremendous performance difference um, to the point where, like, even if you're an X7 user and you use the crap out of that thing uh, out of the, the, the first gen model, like, I would even recommend an upgrade. Give that to someone else. Like, this device is just that good. Um, I What else do I I, I would about? agree with that. I mean, I never um, felt like Tegra 3 was any slouch. No, it and, wasn't. Um, the Nexus 7 felt fast in the context of the devices that it were it was surrounded by. Yes. Because it got 4.2, you know, it got Project Butter out of the gate. I mean, 4.1 out of the gate. Um, so that dramatically helped performance feel very good. Obviously, as the device aged, you know, there was some degradation. But, I mean, that brings us to the next point, which is really just like the trim problem, like the I.O. Yes. problem. Which well, they before, tried to fix with the we... dismount option. and But anyways, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, before we talk about that, can I also say the battery life has improved tremendously? Like, I've, I've got all the numbers. Um, it's, like, we're we're good. It's, <laughs> it is it is good on the battery life side. Oh, that's um, good. And, I didn't I didn't run those tests. I mean, that's that's your doing. Yeah, and, and everyone who's, like, I've seen people complaining about how it's terrible, and they're testing at, like, 75% brightness. Um I mean, this is a bright panel. Oh, it goes like 530 nits. So, I yeah. mean, again, this is... I don't want to help people out necessarily yeah, yeah. that are doing stupid things, but, I mean, you know where I stand on uh, testing based on a number. Yeah, a but my, I number. guess the, the only point is if if you're worried about battery life because of stuff that you've seen um, and someone's testing... I, 200 nits on this thing is is low, right? It's, it's, not, yes. a, it's not high on the slider. Right. Um, so if someone's testing at 75% brightness or anything ridiculous like that, you're going to get a, a low number. Um, right. But in, if you're doing true apples to apples, it's actually really, really good. Um, right. 
what else is the like the only complaint I have is no eight or two eleven AC, but I, it's two hundred and thirty bucks. You can't get anything. Yeah, for and that it has cheap. it has dual band. Like previously, the problem was, you know, like I even said this in the preview piece. Like Google knew the problem with the Nexus Seven was no five gigahertz. Yes. So much so that they had the things friggin' plugged into USB Ethernet cables at the <laughs> event, right? And then, the, and then, meanwhile, there's a sign next to it that says, "Please only like only get, expect to get internet with a five gigahertz device." Yeah. I'm just like, oops. But uh, you know, this time we get that. So like, yeah. I'm I'm okay to not have AC. I mean, uh, I would love if there was free AC. Like, I don't expect Qualcomm to give it away. Yeah. But. Uh, there's so much stuff that's better in this thing, and it's lighter, and it has stereo speakers, and it has a rear-facing camera, and it has a better display. Yep. And it has wireless charging, and like you can just go on and on and on. That you know, I'm willing to not have AC. Mm-hmm. No, I, is... I I would love it, but at two thirty, you know, I'll I'll deal with it. And the um, LTE version works on AT and T and Verizon band thirteen that's... and seventeen at the same time. It's the first device in the world. To support those two bands next to each other, which previously was impossible until the newer generation of filters, and that's a big deal. Like that is a really big deal in yep. like asterisks around it. A really big deal, <laughs> and uh, you know, so that's that's coming on the LT version. It's there. Uh, so you know, again, you have real portability between having LTE on T-Mobile, LTE on Verizon, LTE on AT&T. In the United States, with the same device, the same SKU, you don't need to do anything. If you buy uh, the device, which I believe is unlocked, some unlocked, you will get all f- three of those if you put the SIM in. Out of the loop is Sprint. Um, if you're on their basically non-existent LTE network, um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I'll sh- I'll save my thoughts on that for another day um, <laughs> to avoid incurring more yelling by certain people. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, I mean, again, like, I'm like, well, okay, like, you don't Is really have LTE anyways. Is it yelling while you're at a meal before you No, order? it's just yelling <laughs> online. But, I mean, it's like, I apparently there are Sprint fanboys. Uh, but, I mean, you know, I would say the issue with Sprint is that, like, their ecosystem is a little bit strange in that they have Band 25. They have another band as well. Um, obviously, this device sort of implements the Qualcomm reference target, which was the list of bands that it is. Yeah. And a lot of that isn't necessarily public, but that's just, that is what it is. And, you know, like Sprint wasn't on that list, so they're not included in here. And, like, I'm not crying about it. But uh, <laughs> if you are, maybe you were. And there's a European version with, you know, Band 7 and uh, the, what is it, 20? I mean, I'm speaking off the cuff here. But that's included. I don't know why people were confused about that. Like, we wrote about it. It's always been the same. It's, it didn't go away. It's still there. So you're going to have LTE in Europe on uh, 2.6 gigahertz, band 3, band 7. I mean, yeah, what am I saying? It's band 7 is, is uh, 2.6 gigahertz. And then band 3 as well, 1,800 megahertz. So, um, you know, voila, like it's there. It's like this is what Google I've always wanted them to do. And I hope maybe the next Nexus phone does the same thing. Yeah, that's, that is a big deal. The other thing is that LTE Nexus 7 is basically around the starting price of the iPad Mini. Um, yep. Uh, so that's kind of a big deal. That's hard um, to swallow. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not. I still don't believe that people necessarily cross shop. But if you're looking for a small tablet, and there's a lot to be said about having a cellular uh, cellu- a tablet with cellular connectivity, uh, that's a that's a great deal. 
Um, here's my only issue with the Nexus 7. I believe for consuming written content, the iPad mini has a better screen size and aspect ratio. Um, I mean, closer to like eight inches or what is yeah. it? It's almost, I, I forget what's, I mean, it's I don't like, know, I know nothing about the iPad mini. I've never even, it's like 7.85 or something. Um, okay. So the screen size is just a little bigger. Um, and, and this isn't is also it, true. Isn't it 4.3? It is four three, right? So you it's like four three then? For Even certain like content, the, I feel like they should have. I feel like they screwed up there. They should have moved all of the tablets over to sixteen nine. The really? phone is sixteen nine, sixteen nine one. Like deal with it and moved on. Like maybe, it, maybe it wasn't the best, but like whatever. You can't fight the battle to the end but of the see, world. I feel like for consuming written content, I don't know. Sixteen nine doesn't make sense in portrait to me. Hmm. Yeah, but you know, like I always like my. My only sampling for like iPad use in the world is on planes, and it's always people watching media. And I think it's hilariously stupid to have these black bars at the top and bottom for pixels you you ostensibly paid for. Yeah, and and so that I'll give you that as a um, uh, you have to first answer the question: What are you going to use the tablet for? And if you're going to use it primarily for media playback, then the whole four three thing doesn't make sense, right? Um, and and then maybe the only thing is okay maybe if it were a little closer to eight inches, um, not not saying that that's the right size either because one of the cool things about the Nexus Seven is I will literally take it anywhere, like it is yeah, now. I think I think obviously seven inches and eight inches that size class emerged as this is the correct size for a tablet, and I think yeah. that might have been Steve's only real like oops you know maybe I was really 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 wrong was the 10.1 inches is the correct size for a tablet line because the market has shown that isn't true like they sell a lot of like the only 10 inch tablet that's successful is the ipad because it's the yeah. ipad well Across i also think every that platform that changes, 10 inches is wrong i think that changes once um the 10 inch tablet converges with the ultrabook or macbook air i think when that happens we'll we'll kind of see something different sure because then i can i can smuggle it into any use case i would have smuggled the laptop correct Right. So I, I think I, I agree with you. The market has clearly gone towards seven to like, or let's say sub nine inches um, in the traditional tablet market. But I, I don't think um, I don't think that 10 ish inch range is, is quite done yet. Um, I think hmm. it just hasn't evolved. That's fair. OK. <laughs> um, OK. So then the next thing that uh, is awesome that. So anyways, we like the Nexus 7, right? That's, you should that's buy a good it. device. You should. I yes. think it's great. I, I love that thing. That is a very good device. So the other cool thing about the Nexus 7 is it comes with Android 4.3, which is now available on five devices total, right? Uh, is it more than that? What is it? It's Galaxy Nexus, Nexus 7, Nexus 7 3G, Nexus 10, this new Nexus 7, the Nexus, Nexus 4, 4, and then the two Gal- the Galaxy S4 and the HTC One. So that's yeah. like eight, Okay, I guess, so, as of today. <laughs> as of today. Um, so, yeah, as of... Two in the morning, Saturday morning. Um, <laughs> so the cool thing that comes with Android 4.3 that one upset me that I didn't even know that this wasn't in previous versions, um, but it is finally here, uh, is the equivalent of trim finally exists. Which is your, in... your reaction was like, what? This wasn't here before? <laughs> like in all so... caps with an exclamation so... mark and a question mark. So here's, here's how... Um, uh, NAND works, right? Um, 
Nand has this stupid issue that everyone has to deal with, which is you write at the page level. So you write, let's say, in four kilobyte chunks, but you can only erase at the block level, which in some cases might be two megabyte chunks. And because of that, you get a whole like laundry list of issues, right? And one of the issues is kind of complicated by the fact that when you have a file that you write to NAND uh, and then you delete the file, the OS by default has no way of communicating to the NAND or, or to your storage controller that, hey, you don't need to worry about that, that file anymore. It's gone, right? It's deleted from the user's perspective and from the OS's perspective. The OS frees up, you know, you delete a two gig file, you have two more gigs of free space, but your storage controller still has to track every last page and block that's that's associated with that two gigs of, of file. And the only time it knows that you don't care about that anymore is when you go to one of those addresses and you overwrite it with new data. Then it says, oh, okay, I guess you didn't need this anymore, so I'll just overwrite it. Now, the problem is if you look at, uh, you know, a, let's say a 16 gig space, right? So you have tons of physical addresses or I guess logical addresses in that space that you have to track. As you fill that up, you know, you, you fill it with whatever, 12, 13, 14, 15 gigs of data. You have like this massive mapping table that maps locations that the OS says, hey, I've put data here to physical locations in NAND. That table gets really big. It gets really slow. Um, all of those little, like, I mean, you draw a bunch of little arrows for where an OS puts something and where you put it in physical memory. Um, those arrows point to all kinds of different places. It all gets fragmented. It all gets really slow and really bad. Now, because you're not conveying when you've deleted stuff, that structure never gets simpler, right? So let's say you have 15 gigs of free space and you write uh, whatever. You go on a long trip and you write 10 gigs of, of TV shows and movies to it. Then you delete them. Which to is the what I did a bunch. Yeah, to the controller, your drive is now full. Like, it is completely full. It now has to work in its, like, most abused situation ever, and it just has to exist like this. And things slow down, and people started noticing this on the Nexus 7. And I just assumed it was, hey, we put in really bad storage, not, oh, by the way, we're not trimming any of this stuff. Right? So what trim does is trim is a command that the OS can issue to tell the controller, tell the storage controller, hey, the stuff I deleted, you no longer have to track any of these blocks and pages. Like, go do whatever you want with them. Right. Now, it's important to note that trim can't force the controller to do anything. Right. A bad controller could still say, nah, I'm not going to do anything with this. I'm still going to just be like stupid about the whole thing. But most situations, in most cases, the controller will say, okay, I'll take these blocks that you know have data in them. But I don't care about the data, so let me just empty them out, and you know we'll be good. Uh, so Android 4.3 brings that, and it's awesome. <laughs> um, it now, so Brian, do you remember all the stipulations for how yes. and when it triggers? Yes. So you need. So there are a bunch of conditions. I think it's important to note that it's kind of weird how the Nexus 7 storage issues played out, and that first it became that because there was no trim or no discard option, storage I/O got really bad. And then they, they changed the way that the file system is mounted to have this discard option, which I think worked every time you deleted a file, and that, that caused the degradation in performance too, or something. I'm not totally clear on that last part, but it was mounted with the discard option turned on. Because discard should work the way trim works on PCs, which is why I'm confused why that was even a problem, right? That's yeah, the way you weird. should do it. 
Apparently but... that caused issues. That was viewed as a workaround. And then until the 4.3 release where they added trim to every Nexus device that got the 4.3 update. And the stipulations are that basically you have to be either plugged in and at 30% or above or unplugged and at 80% and above. Battery um, life. Battery right. life uh, or battery charge, state of charge. Yeah. Um, it, the command has to be sent um, at least once every 24 hours or it needs to be 24 hours since the command was sent. And it needs to be screen off idle and idle for at least one hour. And then it will send this event and then Vold, the volume daemon, will invoke um, FS trim and then that will do all of its stuff. And then there's some messages in the kernel that you can tell like it ran and here's how much it ran on every writable file system. And then this now applies on Galaxy Nexus, Nexus 4, Nexus 10, Nexus 7, Nexus 7 2013, etc., across the board and I showed it on a handful of devices that I have had that already had 4.3 that were sitting on my desk some people like even though the headline said that I that it's enabled on all of them were like oh it's only these four but no it's literally every device that was updated with 4.3 period end of story and um, it's important to note as well that some OEMs were doing this already and that's why we never really saw like an issue in the space before uh, and I never really tracked, here's how all of them do it. Some of them had an option that only invoked it when the user tapped a button. Some have some that I think ran in the background, like as a maintenance cycle. Uh, it kind of like, it's just like a, I don't want to say a cluster, but it's like everybody did it different. And Which is hilarious because this is exactly what happened in the early days of SSDs in client computing, right? Because right. if you look at it. I mean, everyone did their own little solution. Like, people would have, like, little tools that you would just run a batch file on, and, you know, every time you logged off or restarted your computer, it would do this. Well, it's also important to note that the way this trim implementation works is it queries all free blocks from the OS perspective and then trims all of them. Um, so it's not like, so in, in Windows, and I'm assuming in OS ten, when you delete a file, a trim command gets sent along with the blocks that you've deleted. Um and that's not what's happening here. Here, it's just trimming free space like every day or so. Well, so you know, um, you said that. I wondered if it wasn't the controllers are a little bit of a naive implementation in the EMMC, and that it was just doing it immediately. So then, if you came back with another write right after the delete, the, the write was obviously blocked because it was too busy doing its thing, garbage collecting. Whereas if if um, the PC controllers are a lot smarter and will add this to a queue. And then dispatch that when it's idle? Like, I'm just guessing here, but... So trim queuing is something that actually came with SATA 3.1. Um, okay. But I don't think you could queue trim commands prior to SATA 3.1. Interesting. Um, so SATA 3.1, there are only two drives that I know of. The Samsung SSD 840 EVO and SanDisk's uh, Extreme 2 are both SATA 3.1 compliant. Um, Interesting. But you do have, like, more cycles to, like, quickly, you know, get trimmed through. And with Windows 8, I believe there are trim latency requirements as well, um, huh. which is hilarious because I don't have a good way of measuring trim latency under Windows. I can only do it under Linux. <laughs> so, I mean, this is your thing more than my thing, but uh, I, I believe that I was told that trim was added as of EMM, EMMC 4.2, which a lot of people misinterpreted as Android 4.2, but no, there are, like, EMMC versions and that uh, they just needed to add this FS trim support, you know, at least in the the a, you know AOSP builds, and now it's there. 
so then it's any it's any OEM's prerogative to then, you know, make sure this is working or, you know, maybe supplant their own implementation with this one or do whatever. Again, it's like, it just kind of depends on what they want to do. But yeah. uh, at least there's a baseline now that isn't horrible. Yep. Now, it, this doesn't change the fact that the EMMC controllers and all of these things have thus far been garbage, right? Right. Random write performance is That's still like... They're still like mechanical hard drive levels of random write performance, which is just unacceptable. Um, and if you, even with trim, if you fill the drive, right, if you write to 90% of available LBAs, you're going to have a bad time. Like it's, 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 it's just, <laughs> it's going to be no for this di- podcast is if you do <laughs> X, you're just going to have a bad time. You are like, if you, it's no different than, you know, if you didn't have trim, if you have a 16 gig device and you're using 15 and a half gigs, it's not going to be good. Um, so my rule of thumb in the PC space is if you can leave 25% of the device free, um, like no, don't, don't write to 25% of it, you'll be okay. Um, depending on the controller here, maybe you want to do more than that. You can usually, like the rule of thumb for like a good PC SSD is 15% and you're fine. Um, 25% you'll definitely be fine. Uh, 50% and you'll be awesome, but, you know, a NAND is priced in insane amounts, apparently, in retail mobile devices, so you don't want to use, like, Yeah, or that's where their on. margin is, or I'm not sure <laughs> if there is, do we know if there's even over-provisioning going on, or is it just the gigabyte to gigabit conversion um, game? Yeah, so there has to, there physically has to be over-provisioning, because in the event that you have a bad block, you, oh, sure. you, you can't just decrease the, the size of the volume, which is why it, what happened to your Nexus 7 scares the crap out of me. <laughs> Which we haven't even really talked about, but uh, yeah. you know, like I tried to kill my Nexus 7. Like I, as soon as this issue started for like a month, I would run Andro Bench with like the 100 megabyte, or I think I started at like 200, and yeah. then moved it down as like that started crashing. And then uh, after like I got kind of bored of it because like the performance wasn't going down, but I didn't start out with it full. I started out with it empty. Yeah. And uh, by the end of it, then I noticed that I only had like an eight gigabyte Nexus Four, even though I had the three G version, which only shipped as a thirty two gigabyte one. Yeah. So uh, that's a little bit scary. But I only noticed that after I flashed to four point three and like reset it, you know. But it's yeah. like then it was suddenly thirty two again. So now I'm just like like you said, like please don't ever write anything that you want to ever exist. Yeah. On don't that don't thing. like do a phd and write your dissertation yeah, to it because be chances bad. are you're gonna have a bad time uh, <laughs> a real bad time so yeah i mean so what i did was i i took uh, actually i took a first gen nexus 7 a 16 gig model um i filled it i left like 600 or uh, actually no less when i did it the the last time i left 231 megs free and then i wow. did random writes um on a 100 megabyte space there Right, so the controller only had another like 200 megs of free area to work with, and after I want to say two or three runs, I got peak sequential write performance to like a megabyte per second or lower. So, <laughs> like literally like a tenth of what it would yeah. be at in, at best case scenario. So I did that, then I deleted all of the files, um, and I ran it again immediately afterwards, and it was still like terrible performance, and I left it idle. And I had to leave it idle. Like, I left it idle overnight. That wasn't long enough to trigger FS trim. Um, and then I left it idle for literally a full 24 hours. And in that period, it ran um, 
and it restored performance perfectly. So like trim works at least on that controller um, in in my 16 gig original Nexus 7. It works, and and I'm pleased with that. Uh, now the deal is well, the, the problem is twofold. One, we need to get um, the Android device makers to spend more on their EMMC controllers, and two, we need to get the people who make the really good NAND controllers to make EMMC devices. But none of them want to touch that because the margins are too low there. So yeah, and that's where they make their money right now is doing the like arbitrary pricing for double, you know, like an additional 16 gigs dance. Yeah. But my, my issue is, like, Samsung, for example, has obviously really good SSD controllers. Um, Intel does. And, you know, you have all these companies that have really, really good solutions. But I want that technology to waterfall down into EMMC controllers. And right. no one wants to do that because those controllers are really cheap. Um, well, we need, to, we need things to get horrible first. I mean, this is the same old story over and over again. Okay. All right. Yeah. I guess that's what we do. Um, <laughs> now, uh, well, okay. This is me being optimistic, though. The next cool thing that happened was Chromecast, which oh, yeah. joins the Nexus Seven in my eyes as like just an awesome device. Yeah. You know, the Chromecast is sort of what became of the Nexus Q, which you know, like I, I didn't have any problem with the functionality of the Nexus Q. The problem was the price tag, um, <clears throat> which was entirely a function of it's built in the U.S. It also includes this huge, you know, like, fancy audio amplifier, um, which wouldn't get used if you ever wanted to use the video part of it, which was like 50%. And I put in the story, like, a note about how basically the Nexus Q started out audio only, and then they added in video. And when they did so, they sort of fundamentally changed what the product was about. It went from being this, like, audiophile Google Play Music device to like a video thing that you plug into your HDMI receiver, right? Your AV receiver over HDMI. So then it, it sort of became like, why do I have this big, like bulky thing and then this huge price tag inflation for a feature that I don't want and that kind of cripples the first party functionality. So obviously they went back to the drawing board and the result was Chromecast. So it's only HDMI, it has Wi-Fi in it, it has a very simple SOC inside and uh, the goal is to use it in sort of this fashion that it doesn't require a remote. It only uses a smartphone app or a PC or, you know, iPhone app to control it. And the controls are entirely in sort of the app, the application of the service that you want to stream. And the architecture is also similar to the Nexus Q in that it grabs media from the cloud. So you, if the client leaves, like I take my phone with me, like my friend starts playing their video or whatever on their phone and then they leave it'll it'll keep playing uh at least for things that are like youtube for netflix obviously with licensing it needs to be tied to a single device because that's how sign-on works so but anyways the the client um still isn't like basically this thing that you stream through it sort of is only a remote like it sends a request then chromecast pulls down the media and that architecture is so much better from a mobile perspective because you're not doing a decode and then an encode and then blocking Wi-Fi on the device. Like, you're causing collisions if you're trying to receive and send. So that, that makes it very hard because you're trying to, like, time-sharing and receive and transmit twice as much. Like, Wi-Fi is already TDD. Then you're just, like, TDDing it again, you know, like, to both receive and then hack um, the stream and then send it out. So for all these reasons, like, Chromecast sort of is the Nexus Q 2.0, and it's only $35.00. 
and it plugs into the HDMI port on your TV. It plugs into USB on your TV. If your TV doesn't have USB, there's a, like literally the, the first-gen charger that Motorola shipped, which I find hilarious, but I guess nobody else really caught up on because like it's the first Motorola product. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and there it is in like a power adapter. So like, good job with the twelve point five billion dollars. But um, <laughs> the Chromecast works perfectly. Like honestly, the latency to like set it up uh, works fine. There's out of band Wi-Fi pairing. You know, you like you your mobile device attaches to this Wi-Fi network that the device makes, uh, and that applies on the PC and OS ten setup wizards too. Then you like configure it to plug into your wireless network. Like you type your APN on a device that doesn't suck uh and it's not like a four function remote with like up down left right and then some keys and uh then you're good to go and it, it just works and they're going to add more services like there's an sdk a bunch more services have said they're going to make you know like a chromecast viewer literally the chromecast is just like a, a web page like it just serves a web page with an html5 embed and uh some drm and that's literally all it does is it just runs that and uh, all the logic is on the device to like grab a token, like go find the media, go request from the server, and then it gets pushed down. And I'm a huge fan. For $35, you can connect all of your devices. It doesn't have 5 gigahertz, which is a little bit unfortunate. It doesn't do Miracast. Um, I've never had Miracast work properly, ever. <laughs> you know, like I've only ever seen it work right during tech demos. Like when I when I come home and try it, like I just have endless problems. <laughs> and uh, it's been that way for six months. So I don't want Miracast anymore. Like, I'm done kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt. The Wi-Fi Alliance screwed up with their test cases. The silicon vendors are more than willing to, like, optimize to just the test cases instead of real world. There's a bunch of reasons behind the scenes why, like, performance is terrible and, like, it never works. And a lot of that has to do, again, with time-sharing Wi-Fi combos that are never meant, that were never designed to be time-shared. And, um... So yeah, like I'm a huge fan of Chromecast. It just works, and it's going to get better. And the good thing for Google this time around is that it was available right out of the gate after they announced it. And as a result, there's really no possibility for like people to just kill it with outrage because they only want Apple TV to be the device that wins. You know, like in iView, Apple TV and Chromecast is orthogonal. They do different things. They're architected differently. They serve very different markets. I think anybody complaining about the USB power thing is stupid. Like I'm apparently in this podcast I'm just calling everybody stupid. And I like I don't mean that in like your stupid way, but like it's just they're ignorant. You know, like you're an ignorant. Like that's ignorant. You're just ignorant. Like you don't understand that that's, that form factor has existed long before the Chromecast. And there were HDMI dongles that literally ran Android that plugged into your TV. And the Miracast receiver that I have, for example, plugs into your TV for USB power. So that's a very common thing to do. And to see Chromecast do that, like for me, that was like, well, duh. But apparently for other people whose only experience has been Apple TV, this is very surprising. And uh, <laughs> so there's a little bit of learning that needs to go on or just like a catching up with you, you weren't paying attention to where the world was going. And um, this is the way things panned out. And the other complication was that there's a spec that's called HDMI MHL. Maybe people are familiar with USB, USB MHL. So HDMI MHL evolved to sort of serve the, the, the shortcomings of HDMI, I mean USB MHL, which was that you needed 500 milliamps into the USB MHL adapter to power the adapter. Well, 
with uh, HDMI MHL, the adapter can be powered by your TV, which can su supply 500 milliamps. So the result is then you don't need USB plugged both from the TV, you know, into this adapter to connect it to your phone. And anyways, the fact is that basically this spec could have been used to power the Chromecast by pretending that it's a USB MHL adapter, it could draw 500 milliamps from MHL HDMI. And if this sounds really stupid to you, it's because it is, because it should have been that way, because the Chromecast can be powered by under 500 milliamps of power. Like, it draws 480 at maximum, like 460. Like, it's the power adapter is designed, and it only draws up to the USB spec that, you know, like, is full speed, not BC, any version uh, that does up to 1.5 amps. So people were confused and thinking, like, oh, it can be powered by... HDMI and then this like USB requirement confused people. Well, no, it doesn't support it. Like you need USB either way. Uh, and stock HDMI can only supply 50 milliamps. So, um, anyways, that's my long rant on the fact that no Chromecast cannot be powered by HDMI. Period. End of story. <laughs> uh, confirmed by Google. Confirmed by me. Um, if you think it works, it probably doesn't. Uh, I'd love to see a picture. You know, like a, a picture. It didn't happen. Is my new line. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it's great and it's, it's very low power and it works. And yeah. I almost don't care that it doesn't have five gigahertz because it works well. And, the, but anyways, there's two modes. The first mode draws, uh, media over the cloud. The second mode draws media from a Chrome tab, uh, that works sort of like airplane mirroring or Miracast in that it does the encode on the, the more beefy client. And then it streams that over the network to, the device and that it incurs all the normal things like you know a couple frames of lag because you're encoding um it may drop frames if your wi-fi link between the two like any the weakest link is the problem um it obviously sends cpu a little bit higher on the client um etc etc all the normal caveats but you can use that to sort of stream tabs that are things from media providers that are never going to implement uh the chrome viewer like hulu you know, like uh, these services that are constrained by the licensing that they have with their media providers and that they want you to browse things only, they only will provide media under the guise of you looking at it in a web browser. So the way around this is to just encode the web browser and send it to your TV. Uh, because apparently we can't have nice things that are shared between the TV and the browser. Like apparently you're a different person when you're in front of your TV. But uh, anyway, so that's there. And that second mode works just like airplay mirroring. And some people are lucky enough to have like a little, there's a carrot that gets displayed under the cast, this tab two thing. And that one will do full screen. I, I've, I don't have that. I'm not sure why it works. I don't think anybody's nailed it down. If you know why it is, I'd love to know. I've read everything I could and nobody could explain. Um, so some people can send their whole screen. At present, it's limited to a tab. If you can play back media on your tab, you're good to play it over this encode to your TV, and that's all I have to say. So <laughs> it's a um, long spiel, isn't it? It is, but it's a cool device. I um, I was interested in it. I got one, and then after like fifteen or twenty minutes with it, I was like, "Wow, now I'm sold." Um, for me, where I came from it with uh, was from the perspective of uh, not viewing it as, a, as an Apple TV competitor, but viewing it as a way of fixing the whole mess that is the software platform on modern hdtvs um so i look at like i have a i don't know it's like a three-year-old samsung um led hdtv 
and the Netflix experience on it is really slow. It has all of these integrated apps, but none of it is a good experience. They're just there, and it's just quicker than you know me using an external box. Um, with the Chromecast, the Netflix experience is better than what I get from my TV. It's faster. Um, and with HDMI CEC, as oh, soon right. as I yeah. right, like as soon That's as there. I fire up my the Netflix app on my phone and tell it to send you know whatever to the Chromecast, my TV automatically switches inputs for me, um, and I can actually get to playing content quicker using the Chromecast versus using the internal you know Netflix app. Uh, and I think like this is a huge game changer. It pulls power away from the folks who are making TVs who have been trying to kind of consolidate and say, look, we're going to integrate more apps to justify the higher price tags we want for these displays. And here Google comes out with a $35 stick that says, nah, the right way to do this is the way we're doing it and not to put the intelligence in the TV. We already have good compute devices that can do that stuff. And this should just be a decoder. And right. that's the right way to do it. And this opens up the avenue. You know, this does more to disrupt the TV makers than it does to disrupt Apple with the Apple TV. Right? Like right. That's, I view is, them as entirely different. And then your big point is like, well, you can buy three Chromecasts for one Apple TV. Yeah. Those by, are not competing. By virtue not of that, products. they're not competing. Yeah. Um, so, so anybody this, who is like, oh, well, Apple TV is the only thing I'm allowed to praise. Like, that's just <laughs> wrong. So I, I'm I'm really excited about this from the I, I really don't like how the TV makers have have kind of evolved their software and hardware platform like that's just been a very frustrating thing to watch happen. Yeah, I want um, my TV to only be a cheap display, like the absolute cheapest, correct um, display that does nothing else. Like it's a display, it's not a yep. computer. And I think that's the Chromecast to me. That's what it does. It enables that business model. Um, and I know the TV makers aren't going to want to hear that, and they'll still keep doing what they're doing, and they'll do it forever. Because, like, admittedly, um, I'm more the surprised TV... you use Netflix on your TV. I never I simply, knew this. I simply do it because it's quicker. Like, one, huh. I don't want to have the Xbox running all the time yeah, because, because it can't eat power up your gate. Room? Yeah, like I'm like, this is I'm not this is dumb. Like it doesn't make yeah. any sense. So it's now like maybe burning that... like 45 watts, At and least. the Chromecast burns two watts at maximum. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's not, so that's not happening. And then there's like a stupid amount of boot time associated yeah, with it, right? True. I'm not dealing with that. Um, and then every now and then you have to do like a complete update. It's like yeah. time to just sit here. No, so like that's, maybe I'll revisit this with Xbox One PS4, but um, until then, that's just not happening. Well, and the, the other thing is that the Xbox 360 can't do more than 720p and um, the Chromecast and the PS3 and everything else can do the 1080p super stream maximum bit rate, which I believe is nice. like 8 megabits, yeah. with 5.1. So this is like literally the best, not even just like a cool device. It is the best, cheapest Netflix player. Like think yep. about that for a moment. It is less than the Roku. Yep. No, I know, I know people who bought Google So people who TV. are like, this is stupid. It's a Chromecast. Like I have to do this stuff to set it up. I'm like... Your bias is showing because it is literally just on its own with only like a slice of the functionality, the best in its like um, in its domain. Yeah, you know. So I, I will I will say that it is a more 
is a more complex device to explain to someone who doesn't understand, like the Apple TV. Right. Well, or I had to Roku. go through my like twenty-minute explanation. Like, let Correct. me explain you. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> so that that's difficult for people to grok, and it's like the form factor obviously is difficult for people to grok because they're like, what is this? I've like I haven't paid attention to anything HDMI or like plugged into my TV for the last five years. Yes, uh, of which like the last two or three, this like HDMI dongle plus USB power thing is basically the de facto, and so that blows my mind. But I interrupted, and I'm sorry. No, 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 that's fine. So, so that that's um, this isn't something like I can't just give it to my parents and be like, all right, go. Um, <laughs> I would have to explain it, and like once I explain, explain it, they get it. Yeah, but so I understand that. Um, and but it's also only thirty five dollars, and it, it well, and it, their, their um, goal was we we want to make this cheap enough that you can plug it into every TV. Yep, in your house for under under a hundred bucks. Yeah, no, and it, it's it's so because of the fact that it like it there is a learning curve. Um, it's not a steep learning curve, but it's just a different type of device, right? Like yeah, everyone's remote control used from to, your phone. Correct. Um, so because of that fact alone, I think you'll still see the TV makers do very well by integrating more apps and functionality into their platforms. This at least gives me something else that I can recommend and say, Hey, go buy a dumb display and get one of these. And then I'll, you know, I'll spend the five minutes and explain to you how it right. works. Well, and it's, it's platform agnostic, which, yep. um, even though there's no windows phone version, which is kind of like just <laughs> more of a reflection of the state of windows phone. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's largely platform agnostic, which is great, you know, and uh, more credit to Google for doing that. And uh, except Netflix for me... executing on, you know, like it works on the apps, except for the Windows Phone app. <laughs> right out, you know, like I didn't have to wait a month for them to update it. Yeah, no, it like, works I still well. want Spotify and Twitch and like a thousand other services like Pandora. I mean, like I have a list that I put in the thing. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's I feel like those are coming. Yep, and it does make me hate the Netflix app so much. <laughs> yeah, the Netflix app has some, again, it's another one of those like apps that it feels really slow. Like I feel like they have some intermediate language that they write it in, and then they try yeah. to port this library everywhere. Yeah. And um, the performance on it just blows across iOS and Android. So yep. they clearly have their work cut out for them, and I'm surprised because you know, like Netflix seems to be a very... Uh, avant-garde engineering company except for the use of um you know on the web it's uh what is it silverlight silverlight oh, which God. again the the pc player can't even do hd with you know the max bit rate or 5.1 or any of these features uh, which to me is crazy because i know a lot of people like plug their laptop into their tv on hdmi and then watch that yeah so i don't know why fixing that isn't a number one priority but i think they <laughs> The difficulty is that they have to keep everything DRM'd because otherwise they literally can't expose it via licensing uh, just because they, they need to meet this spec or they legally cannot stream above a certain bit rate. Like I learned this back when, I, back when TI was making mobile phones and I had like insight through them into like a developer who was working on their DRM and he was like, well, they have these different specs and if you want to stream... You know, the SD stream, you can essentially do it, you know, like without any protection, like software. Um, if you want to stream the baseline HD stream, like 720p, you need these features, like memory firewalling, like a DRM thing, like the decoded frames can never be accessed. Um, you, can't, you can request the memory address, but you won't get anything back. 
And then uh, I believe that the 1080p stream is a level beyond that. And so it's clear to me that the Silverlight client is at that medium tier. And for whatever reason, they don't believe that there is a solution for the PC that will go to that maximum tier. Um, or at least legally, they can't defend it. So anyways, I, I don't know how I'm getting on another tangent about like... But Netflix isn't, of course, not going to ever disclose this openly. That's literally yeah. all I know about it. Like I still get emails based on this one piece that I wrote because literally Netflix is so good about not disclosing anything and keeping all their partners like tight-lipped about it that nothing else has ever been writ about it <laughs> you know like that's that's amazing well so it's interesting to me the um uh, like i get emails PC- about like a two-year-old post <laughs> yeah actually i got an email about like some upgrading the nahala mac pro article which oh but that's like that's up. super awesome though yeah, no, it's it, that kind of stuff happens every now and then. Um, so it's interesting you mentioned the DRM aspects of it because uh, that was one of the features that Intel introduced. I want to say with Sandy Bridge. Um, really? There, yeah. There was like uh, there was some new hardware DRM stuff that they introduced there that enabled them to do this like high bit rate 1080p streaming um, that wasn't possible on any other platform. Um, so that's probably the spec level of whatever yeah. um, will come or maybe will come. Yeah. Um, okay, so then the other cool thing that also, I guess, technically came out of Google um, is you have the Moto X, which we've heard about forever. Yeah, how did... I guess that's last on the... That's literally where it was yesterday. So, yeah. you know, I don't know how to start the Moto X thing. Like, um, <laughs> $12.5 billion, Google bought Motorola. Um a Motorola Mobility. There's still like a, a Motorola that's not Mobility that does like radio stuff, um, walkie-talkies, like radios, RF, the point-to-point microwave stuff that's everywhere. But uh, the Mobility side has kind of been silent ever since, and like we didn't see a lot of phones. And I remember for a long time it seemed like I was always occupied by reviewing Motorola phones. Like, you know, yeah, we had all the droids. Like it seemed like I always had a Motorola phone in my pocket. Yep. Just by they, virtue. They were, the, they yeah. were like the first to to send us stuff regularly. Yeah, so like I would, you know, like, and no complaints. Like I never disliked Motorola. I liked Motorola a lot. And, you know, they, they always did like solid things. And they were always kind of doing like interesting things too. Like Tegra, um, RGBW displays, cool stuff. You know, like they built their own LTE modem type deal through TI. That stuff is cool. So, like, there was always something I wanted to talk about, and then they kind of disappeared, and, like, I've been bored lately, frankly, with just, like, I'm tired of looking at APQ8064, like, it's a great part, but I'm, like, I'm, if you send me a phone with it, I'm just not going to get excited. So, anyways, that's my spiel on uh, what happened to Motorola. So, they've been silent, and Google effectively is relaunching Motorola with the Motorola X. Like, they basically said in the open, this is our launch device for Motorola. And it's not the droids, it's the Moto X. Even though all the features that make the Moto X cool, except for customization, are in the droids. So, uh, anyways, the Moto X is probably the most hyped device of this year. Uh, I've never seen so much attention to it. I've never seen it pop up everywhere. I'm sure that that's, some of that is a function of like intentional leaks and $500 million doesn't buy you nothing. It, it buys you a lot of that sort of like sentiment and... Um, you know, like Reddit following and astroturfing or whatever. And I'm not making an accusation. I'm just saying like, it just buys you stuff. And some of that is that. So there was a lot of hype. And then 
you know, like I feel like the device is kind of a mid-range phone. Like it ends, like we saw it. Like I have it. It's they made a lot of concessions, and a lot of it just covers up the fact that it's kind of a mid-range phone. And I feel like there's a lot that's cool about it. There's a lot that's great, but it's still like it has to live in the space of like reality. And you know, maybe there was even a reality reality distortion field around this phone for a while. Um, I think it's cool. The Motorola X is. Um, I don't know where to start. Like it's 4.7 okay, so, inches display. Uh, there's a lot of customization options. It's an 8960 Pro inside. Motorola has made this thing they call the X8 mobile computing system or like computing solution uh, that a lot of people in, in falsely interpreted as an SOC. So Motorola never really lied. They never said it was an SOC. A lot of people said that for them. They were careful to clarify again that it's not an SOC, it's an S4 Pro inside, 8960 Pro, which is a dual-core SOC, uh, dual-core Crate 300 at 1.7 gigahertz with Adreno 320 graphics. And I guess Motorola was given permission, or maybe they weren't, by Qualcomm to just come out and say that that's four cores, uh, that Adreno 320 is four cores. And um, previously that was not on the record, so like that's there. First, at first I heard that I was like, "Do they know that that's not okay?" Like, <laughs> I was like, "Do they know that that's like that'll get you shot?" That's under like, embargo. Like, yeah, they, I was like, "What?" Like, okay, like apparently they they just broke that, but uh, like that was cool. And then the rest of it is so that's six cores, and the other two are like this NLP natural language processing core, and then the other thing is a contextual computing slash active display core. And I've done the digging, and the active display core is just an MSP four thirty. Uh, which is cool, you know, like that's cool. We have an act, we have a core that does something else, and um, I'll get to those features. And the natural language processing thing is something else I haven't tracked down that we thought might be like the Qualcomm voice activation that comes in MSM eighty nine seventy four Snapdragon eight hundred, but it's not that. So um, those that's X eight, which is probably the most interesting thing to an on tech readers is what's this X eight thing that's we're calling an octa core. That's not an octa-core, not to be confused with Samsung calling 5410 an octa-core, even though it's really a quad-core. So, like, this is, again, the sort of thing that just really makes me, like, hate my life and makes me drink. Uh, <laughs> is that we just have this, this like, line going on. Because that's really what it is about, like, we're just calling things octa-core because, like, more is better. And, you know, like, the consumer, like, maybe they'll, they've heard octa-core. So, like, they'll be fooled, like, wow, this is fast. Like, it's got octa-core. I'm going to tell my buddies. Um, now, for what it's worth, um, Anand over at Qualcomm, right? You saw his little um, no. things that are dumb. Did no. you not see this? No. I don't yeah, know. I've he... been in a plane for so long, like, I miss things, apparently. What did he say? No, he... I, there's he was just like, this, I hate was... that they're calling my SOC an octocore? No, no. He... Um, th- there was a post in Gadget, uh, and it's this great picture of Anand Chandrasekhar, um, oh, the CMO of Qualcomm. This. You need to send that. Yeah, it's amazing. He's just standing there in front of like a, a, a like a presentation board, <laughs> and the title of the slide is "Things That Are Dumb," and his oh, fingers wow. pointing to the first item, and it's uh, octa-core. Oh my gosh! Wow. Well, that that builds a lot of respect, you know. Like, obviously, they they haven't stooped so far as to call, like, because they ostensibly could call if they're going to start counting GPU cores as cores. I'm doing air quotes because, like, what's a core? Um, like core is kind of just like, there's this block that can be replicated any number of times or up to some limit. And that's what people use core for, um, to call anything just like a core. And we're just going to call stuff core. 
that's that just like when how like core doesn't mean anything it's like oh i see this is awesome you just sent me the article yeah, yeah. i totally agree like what does this mean and the funny thing was is that like 5410 wasn't an 8-core CPU. Like it had eight, 8 CPU cores, but you can only see 4. 5420, you can see 8. You know, um, 8X, I mean X8, like there are 8 cores, but now it's like they're not even CPU cores. Like there are 2 CPU cores. And then I'm like, can we start counting modem cores and like DSP cores and like <laughs> cores in the like, Wi-Fi combo and like cores in the sensors? Like... You know, like, and Vivek was like, dude, like, my, my PC desktop has, like, 100 cores. And then I was like, dude, you know, like, if you buy Tegra 4, you have, like, 75 cores. And, like, dude, just wait until we get, you know, Tegra 5. Like, isn't that, like, 150-some cores? Like, aren't there 120? Uh, 192. Oh, my God. Like, so that clearly wins. You know, like, there's almost 200 cores, bro. So, like, bro, my phone wins. Like, I have 200 cores. Anyways. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I forgot what I was even thinking. What were we even talking about? Okay, we were talking about Moto X. Oh, yeah. Um, X8. So, so NLP and then the, the CCP. Um, yes. CCP, not to be confused with CCCP. Yeah. Big, big difference. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, NLP is what enables the whole... Voice you know, activation. Your yeah, your phone's asleep. You can just say, uh, what is it? What's the, the key phrase? Okay, uh, Google Now. Okay, Google okay, Now. Google now. And uh, you carefully pointed out that this will wake up any yeah. Moto X. I was sitting next to Phil Nickinson. We, so part of the thing during setup is you have to train your Moto X to your Okay, Google Now um, voice. So like that's pretty normal. Like There's different um, ways you say sibilance. Everybody's voice is different. You know, It's very easy to sort of pick out the fundamentals and like make a bandpass filter, which is what I'm sure they're doing. There's a lot of natural language processing theory. I'm not sure how far full nerd they've gone in their whatever chip they have that does this. But um, you have to train it. And I had to like go into a super silent room. Like I had, we were in a hotel room with no noise. The air conditioning was off. And like, like I went over to work with him. Like he was like, hey, do you want to like come into my hotel room and like we can work? And I was like, yeah, you know, like I don't have nowhere else to go. I'm going to go sit in a cafe. And uh, so we both worked, and he was like, I'm going to record some voiceovers for my video. Like, I'm going to turn air conditioning off. And, like, that still wasn't quiet enough. Like, I had to go into a bathroom, close the door in the bathroom, and then, like, the scale went to, like, okay, you can talk now. So <laughs> then, it, then I said, okay, Google now, okay, Google now, okay, Google now. It tells you, okay, now it's everything's peachy. Like, it's time to go use this feature. And, like, then he did it, and, like, I said, like, okay, Google now, and everybody's phone turned on. So... <laughs> Like, this is going to get really fun really fast. And I, I regret not doing it in the room where there was, like, 800 Moto Xs. Because it probably would have turned on the majority of them. Like, if you say, OK, <laughs> Google Now. And then, by the way, Google has kind of settled on OK, and then I'm doing blocks, uh, as, like, a f feature to say, like, to initiate a something via voice. Like, there's OK Glass. There's OK Google Now. There's OK Maps. So what's next? Like, I don't know. Um, but apparently they view OK and then an X as um, being like a, a statistically significant NLP phrase. An n-gram is the correct word. Uh, a combination of n-grams to do detection above a certain confidence level. And I, I know way too much about this than I ever wanted to because of my previous <laughs> job. But I know exactly what they're thinking. And I'm like, well, in other languages, is OK still okay like does that is that a borrowed word in uh like french or um 
German or Chinese? Like, I don't know. Did anybody think about this? I'm not sure. But uh, I don't know. And people I'm way really above curious. what I'm paid apparently thought about it. You know, like, uh, so, okay. <laughs> so I'm also curious about the long-term implications on how we interact with one another and... Like, okay is not an all right way to start a sentence. Yeah, I usually start <laughs> sentences with so. Yeah. Which is strange because, like, that's a that's a tick. Yeah. Um, but okay or, um, is definitely... I mean, because you, you just you like, look at Star uh, Trek. Google now, and... like, uh... <laughs> like, uh... Right, so, like, the, the Star Trek solution was you address it as computer, which I understand, like, that's not mainstream enough. Like, they don't... Sure want a bunch of people saying computer or smartphone do this well in the previous rumors you could choose your own catchphrase yeah which is what um so you know you mentioned snapdragon voice activation that's coming with snapdragon 800 this exact hey your phone or device is in a sleep state you say a keyword it wakes up without waking up the ap right like the right, right. there's like a, a codec there that looks for the keyword and it's drawing like whatever one milliamp or whatever um so it's looking for the keyword. Once it gets it, then it wakes up the AP and says, hey, you know, the person said this. Maybe you right. should start doing stuff. Um, and that's where the, the technology is actually important, right? Because in order right. to do that initial detection off the AP, or at least in, like, some place that's very, very low power, uh, that's the only way you can do this with, like, decent battery life. Right, and then you, so just, baked is... out your, you just baked out the NLP stuff to, to hardware. Like, it's just baked out to an ASIC somewhere. Yes. So that part comes with Snapdragon 800, and, and when uh, Qualcomm originally talked about this, they talked about having this idea of, like, customizable keywords as well. Sure. And, I, and maybe that's where people sort of... I never saw the Moto X part of this, where we expected it to be your own custom word. And, you know, I haven't tried. I guess you could train it with, like, if you just... Instead of saying, okay, Google Now, and it's saying, okay, Google Now, you could just say a different word. But I suspect that they are running... Um, they're both running the training and then they're making sure you actually said the words so that they'll, yeah. they'll parse out that part of the sentence and then feed that into their, their trainer. You know, like you're just, again, they're just doing feature extraction, I'm sure. And then, or, you know, a classifier, there's all these things that you can do, uh, in this sort of like machine learning space, which is what this is. And I'm sure that they're making sure you say, okay, Google now, but I haven't tested it. You could try saying whatever you want. But, uh, like, they were pretty adamant about, no, like, we fundamentally believe OK Google Now has a lot of voice features that make it unique, yada, yada, yada. Basically, like, again, it's above some threshold. Um, but, yeah, like, literally all that feature is is it, it turns the phone on, and then it dumps you into Google Now. That's the voice activation feature. And then everything else from there is just Google Now. Yeah. So... And then on the, <laughs> on the CCP side... Um, that one's I'm kind of interesting. Going but... the CCCP side. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting to me because what's happening is they're they're one they're using the benefits of the OLED display, right? Which is right. Um, the thing's totally off, but it'll still bubble notifications up to the top. And uh, you pointed out in your preview that it looks like that layer is running somewhere outside of Android. Yeah, it does seem to be running entirely. So this the CCP part is actually very cool, and I didn't really realize this until I like had it in my suit pocket, in the jacket as I was flying back, and then in my pocket um, earlier. But it'll also detect when it's out of your, when you've pulled it out of your pocket. It'll just show you the time. It'll show you the unlock button. It'll show you like here's the notification icons of the apps that you know like did stuff while your phone was in your pocket. Um, and then if you leave it on your desk again, if you flip it up, it'll show you those again. 
So that is very cool. It's using, it's doing sensor fusion between, you know, like accelerometer, gyro, the ambient light sensor, the proximity sensor. All these things are on all the time or like being pulled at some schedule, hopefully in a way that doesn't affect battery, um, onto the MSP430. Then they, they also have a screen buffer. They, they have some sort of little OS that runs there. I found the firmware that they flash onto them. Uh, and then it will show you, you know, like there's a very simple UI, like you can drag up, you can see, you know, like a little like preview of the notification that just happened. Uh, you can, if you drag up into it, then you, when you unlock the phone, which literally all it just does is unlock the phone and launch this app, it'll launch the app of the notification that you dragged over. Or if you drag to the left or right, it'll clear all your notifications and keep the phone off. Or if you drag down, it will just unlock the phone. So, I mean, that's cool. You know, it's it's different. Um, so this is effectively running another OS. It seems that to is be. Inter- that yeah. is, I mean, it has to, right? Like, yeah. the whole point is that none of this should happen on the AP. This should yeah. happen on this little microcontroller. It does seem um, to be, yes. You can't screenshot it. And the idea is, I guess it's acting kind of like almost like a built-in smartwatch, right? Like, it's True. it's just grabbing notifications from Android, displaying them in a very, very low-power, very efficient way. Um and I don't know. It's neat that and then that, that part them of it is in, in a way that doesn't kill your battery. Hopefully, yeah. No, that that part's kind of cool to me. It is um, kind of cool. I don't know if it would like. I don't know if it's killer enough to make me say, "Wow, I'm going to buy this above everything else." That you know, like all priorities are rescinded. Yeah, but no, uh, I agree. That, I know, that alone, cool. that alone isn't enough for me to want the device. But they have highlighted a feature which I want. Right. True. And now, okay, hit the start button. Everyone has to offer some take on that. Like Samsung kind of has that with their S View cover right. on uh, the Galaxy S4, but this is kind of different. And that costs and, sixty dollars. Yeah. Um, I, so, I yeah, like they, it. I don't know if it's the only thing that makes me want to buy that phone. You, you know, the other part is the customization options. They have all these options, like uh, you know. If you go, so part of it is like it's kind of disjointed. If you go into a store, you can only walk away with a black or a white one. If you use this, the kiosk, they're going to have a customization kiosk in AT&T stores. Then you can choose from all these colors, like the back color pattern, an accent color, a signature, and a case. And then you you literally buy to order, and it gets built in Fort Worth and shipped off four days later. Four days. So... You don't walk away from the store with a phone, and you can do this from your home, but it's there. Um, and then they're going to have wood some later in the Q4 time frame. So that, that means anywhere. That means, you know, quite a while. And if you want wood, like, you have to wait. And <laughs> if you want to get wood, you got to wait. So uh, <laughs> jokes aside, um, the wood is pretty cool. It looks, <laughs> it looks sweet. Um, it's sealed. Uh, it's dried, so it doesn't affect RF. They're still doing testing. I don't know why, like, it took this long when we're still waiting, but uh, there it is. And uh, what's the other feature? The other feature is the camera. I mean, but you were making a good choice about custom point about customization is that customization options have never made a product that otherwise couldn't stand on its own stand on its own. It just yeah. made it better, right? Yeah, like I think you this should is elaborate. I- yeah, so so this reminds me a lot of um, Dell had this big push, right, like a few years ago. Um, they hit an interesting point where it used to be that you could walk into a room and 
the unique folks were the ones that had a Mac laptop. But then, you know, the, you hit the tipping point and you walk into a room and often cases, or oftentimes, depending on where you are, uh, everyone's got the same, like, aluminum unibody thing. Yeah. Uh, so Dell's solution was, well, we're going to add color to that. We're going to hire these artists and they're going to design these, like, awesome, um, like, panels you can have on, you know, you can custom make them. You can you can custom order your, your Dell laptop and they can come with this, like, kind of crazy uh very hip, very, you know, whatever, colorful, really cool, you know, artist design uh, personalization option to it. And that was cool. Like, I understood the idea. Right. Uh, but that ultimately didn't change anything. It didn't like, that save didn't, it. No, it definitely didn't. Um, and I, that, for me, like, having not used the device, I'm interested in the Moto X's um, kind of construction. Like, it sounds yeah. very cool. Yeah, you know, it, like, the shape is very unique. The shape is cool. The The problem is that it still feels very plasticky to me. Yeah. Like, I like the way it's shaped. I don't like the way that it still feels plasticky. And the mitigation for that is the wood one because it's something different. Like, wood is kind of trendy. But, well, I'll yeah. be honest, it's very trendy. Uh, it's something different. It's like every wood has different grain ostensibly, so every phone is going to look different. Uh, but the black one and the white one, which are unfortunately all that they had available and all that they will have available, and in the U.S. only AT&T gets the customization options at all for launch and for some undetermined set of time, the the black and white ones like aren't that cool beyond their shape. Like uh, It feels great. They've done cool things to mold the to fuse the glass and the plastic together so it kind of rolls off at the edges very nicely at the very top it rolls off nicely um the shape isn't like rounded in a spherical sense or like a cylindrical sense it's this complex like conic shape it's a conic section which is very cool but you know um i don't know like the world has kind of moved on and they they made a dig at metal and i was like whatever that's just hilarious like <laughs> like they made a dig at metal and i was like could you say that again because, like, I didn't hear you, really. Because, you know, like, if they could have a metal phone, they'd be seeing it from the rooftops, too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's that. And materials do matter. I like it for how it's shaped. I don't like it for, like, it does feel plasticky. Hmm. Um, so that I'll say that. And that's based on a day of using it. And uh, the 24-hour battery life claim, I, like, I just, uh, anybody can make claims I'll tell you right now, it's not going to be 24 hours. Like, it wasn't 24 hours. Um, I don't know what 24 hours means. But again, like, I'm t the theme of this week is I'm being lied to. So, uh, you know, whatever. I forgot the rest of it. The rest of it was camera. Like, the camera side, they didn't talk about a lot, even though they've done some very cool things on the camera side. Like, their first implement in RGBC, or, or really it's RGCB, uh, color filter array. So there's been a lot of talk about clear pixels, um, Aptina has like a, a two by two matrix that's RCCB. They do subtraction to emulate the green channel, and then they also use the luminance from the C to like feed into this algorithm that they say looks like a buyer um, in the spatial frequency domain. It, it looks like an, a clear pixel array in the luminance domain, so you get all these gains without a loss in frequency and no color f artifacts. Uh, other OEMs have tried well, Sam Sony. Well, let's just, let's just call names here. Sony has tried an RGBC array before, and they sort of rage quit it at the last minute because they ran into color filtering artifacts where when you do the demosaicing, 
you get you can't recover color as well, and then again you lose um, spatial frequency, and you really only get a small gain in luminance. You know, like in, in SNR, you get Aptina claimed one dB. Uh, I've never ever encountered or been privy to or disclosed uh, the gains, but that sounds about right. Like you only by only adding one clear pixel, you don't get a whole lot, but you get something. Again, you trade off the frequency in the green, which is where the eye is most sensitive, which is why Bayer always had two two more green pixels than it did red or blue, because really you can't see red or blue that good, uh, that well. I'm saying good because like we can't read good, we can't see too good. Like you actually like you kind of suck as a sensor. Like the image that gets formed on your eye is actually really terrible. The brain just does a lot of filtering to sort of hide, you know, all these things that are terrible from you. So again, that's sort of like everybody's belief behind computational photography gonna, is going to save all of us from these problems is that hopefully someday we'll mimic the brain's ISP. But, uh, but anyways, the, the Moto X includes this 10 megapixel sensor that is quite large. It's like one over 2.5 inches, or I believe one over 2.6. I forget. It's right around there, which is pretty big, uh, 1.4 micron pixels. So again, we didn't go to smaller pixels to get to this 10 number. And it's RGBC. So again, like Motorola has always been first to do these cool, crazy things, like RGBW, like an LTE modem paired to an OMAP SOC, like first to dual core. So for for them to do this, I'm like, wow, that's cool. Like it's from an academic perspective. I don't know if it's the best thing in the world from uh, the end result performance, but it's it's cool and it's something to talk about. Uh, so that's there. I got some cool pictures out of it. I do see color filtering artifacts, just as expected, uh, unfortunately. Like, if you present it patterns that, you know, are challenging. Because, again, no no sensor right now uh, reads out the color values at every pixel. Like, this is sort of the thing that a lot of people don't understand, is that you interpolate the colors at all the other pixels. So this 2x2 two two array that sort of is, you know, pervasive in the color imaging sensor world like in a dslr and a camera doesn't read rgb at each pixel it reads you know rg or b at each pixel and then you use like magic uh an algorithm magic uh to sort of like guess basically what the colors are at the pixels around it like it's sort of like you're playing minesweeper but with more than just one byte you know like one more one more bit like you're playing with more bits so anyways, you can do this, and it's well understood. It's been like 20 years that this has been in development. Otherwise, you need three arrays of pixels. Like fundamentally, you can't... The pixel doesn't see color. It sees just light. Like it just sees what silicon is sensitive to, uh, which is a well understood spectrum. So you put a filter in front of it to sort of like make that understood, and then you can solve the other parameters. And Foveon does the same thing. They just use a stacked sensor with three stacked sensors and um you know like silicon does its filtering by the time it's at the bottom it's only red you know etc cetera, etc cetera. you know like it loses power as you move up um so you get your green and then at the very top blue so again there's uh, you know in high-end cameras they use three sensors because they want to sample chrominance at each pixel um so anyways that's that's a long story short like you've just moved things around or trade-offs to be made uh, I don't know if it's the be-all end-all. Like I haven't run it through my tests. Like all I had opportunity to do in the last 12 hours was take pictures out of the window of a plane, and you know, like out the window of a hotel room. But uh, I don't know. It's cool. It's something different. You know, I got some pretty cool pictures out of it. I don't know if they're the best in the world, but uh, 
There were one or two that I was like, wow, that's not bad. So, you know, that's something cool. I'm happy other people are, uh, you know, trying things to get low light back. Like, I think people... I Obviously, Motorola recognizes that low light is something people struggle with. Like, I don't know if we need more pixels. You know, I think 8 megapixels might be the right number for, like, most normal people. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, if you want more, like, you're just going to have to bring a DSLR. Like, we can't get around physics. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, literally, you know, like, we're going to move to 0.9 microns uh, after 1.1, which is kind of crazy. And then beyond that, you can't really move past 0.7. Like, you can't move past one wave and um that's the end like objectively period end of story so you know we're gonna have to figure out where you want to go i don't know is there more to moto x that i'm missing like have i forgotten no, no. it's not running 4.3 which is crazy it's not it's not a single skew for all these different oems like there's uh, somebody had the 504 variance number, but I believe there's even more. Like if you add each combination of customization and then each SKU, it's like in the, you know, you run the NCR, like number of combination possibilities. Yeah. It's a lot. I was hoping that because Google has made this an emphasis with the Nexus 7, that the, uh, you know, the Moto X would contain one of the RF360 front end components. And RF360, by the way, is a brand. It's not a chip. There are a bunch of chips that live under the RF360 brand. And uh, the MDM9X15 and by extension 8960 and 8930 families can only implement this one part of it that has a certain band combination that is only the CMOS power amplifier and um, switch combination. And so, But anyways, I was hoping that like it'd, it'd be at least that. So then in the Americas, it'd be a single SKU. For Europe, it'd be a different SKU. But apparently it's not, and, like, we still need to do this thing where, like, every OEM has its own RF combination, and, like, I was just, like, that's kind of where I stopped listening. And I've, <laughs> well, yet, do you think I've yet to see the full breakdown because they didn't have it ready, and I'm still waiting. But uh, do you think that's more, in an, <clears throat> more of an indication of when uh, this platform was originally spent? Yes, yes. To me, this is delayed. Like, there's just yeah. no other way of... I mean, and, and what do you expect? Like, they got acquired. They had a reorg. You know, what what happens with engineering? Everybody moves around. Like, well, how do you delay an engineering team, add new people? Uh, what is, that's like the joke about, like, how do you speed up a software program? Like, you remove people, you know? <laughs> you know, like, how do you slow it down? You add new people, so they need to be trained, which is, like, paradoxical. But I'm sure that's yeah. the case here in hardware design, too. It's just, like, less people have visibility. So... I don't know, like, my mind hurts thinking about it, but, like, I like Moto X, but it's a mid-range phone that's being sold at the 199 price point like a flagship, and, like, people who are smart just immediately wrote it off. Like, Ganesh was like, why would I ever buy this? You know, like, I can buy all this other silicon for the same cost, and I I believe it will move down quickly, but I believe they, to recoup the, the USA costs, the customization costs... The lack of scale costs like it. It will. It's more expensive than it would ordinarily be if it was just like a, a generic, you know, like traditional engineering approach, and manufactured abroad, mid-range phone. Yeah. So, you know, I don't. I don't know really what it costs anymore. Yeah. No. I mean, I think it's a. Um, a lot of times in the mobile space, there are good ideas that, in first implementation seemed uh uh 
have the, the, the kind of the deck stacked against them. And that seems to be the case with Moto X. Like there, there's a lot of, right. I like that we're seeing innovation here. They're, they're clearly on to certain things, right? You look at what they're doing on the activation side. Um, oh, sorry, on the notification side. Um, what they're doing on, yeah, they are playing kind of an interesting game on the camera side as well. Um, right. And experimenting with customization, with material types, stuff like that. This is all really right. cool. None of these things by themselves or even altogether makes for the perfect device. Yeah, um, like I still believe the perfect device is an HTC One or Galaxy S4 or Google Play Edition. As of this, yeah. as of this speaking. Yeah. No, and and I I I think I'd agree with you. Like, and part of it's tough, right? Any company getting acquired and putting out a product right. post acquisition is after. never easy. Yeah, that is never easy. So this is a lot um, better than it could have been. Correct. It's a lot better than it could have been. Um, the fact that we're even able to talk about it and like, oh, and you know what? I believe Motorola deserves a lot of credit. They did the launch event right. They showed everybody else how to do a launch event. Like it wasn't the sit down live blog. The screen comes up. Everybody, it's a race to see how fast you can put your laptop in your bag and go run and play with the demo units and then mm-hmm. upload a video. Like it wasn't that. It was like we're gonna let me explain you. Right? They did that. <laughs> and then they like here's a room. Play with the devices and then. Here's a device, and it's launching the end of August. Like embargo lifts at this time. Do your thing. Yeah. Now, so the only the only caveat I would put, the only change I would make is they need to do all of this and then set the embargo like a week later. Oh, totally, um, totally. Right, because then like then we can have be having an intelligent discussion of this is exactly how long it'll last running this workload. And right, but uh, these other people will leak it. Um, yeah. There's no way anybody will honor like a week. Um, yeah. That's why we can't have nice things, frankly. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I want that too. I, I yeah. want that too. But at least, you know, giving me a month, it always seems like Motorola has given me the most time. And I, yes. I love that fact. And they they need all the love in the world from from us just for doing that. Like I – yeah. as critical as I am of the Moto X, I am as grateful about how the way that went down. Yeah. No, that's true. I, you know what? Even from my perspective, I felt – you were under much less stress yes, than at yeah. any other anything. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. And I like the fact that I can feel that sitting in a completely different room, completely different state from you just says volumes about how much stress every other launch puts on you. It's, it's, it really is stressful, and that's why you don't see quality out and you see guessing. You yeah. see speculation. You see, well, I don't know the answer. Uh, because you can't ask the questions that you will logically come to after thinking about it for 10 or 15 minutes. Like you haven't yeah. had, you haven't had the shower interval where you can actually think yet. No, it's just been like, I've... wow, like I got to go fast. Like the person's talking at me, like what's going on now? Like, oh my God, these other people took the video. I got to go upload it. Yep. You know, like all this stuff, which is just, it's just like, that's how you get the stupid. Yeah. No, it, I mean, I, it affects me as well. Like I, I notice when I land and have to immediately go to an event and immediately start talking about it, that like just the quality of what comes out of me is significantly worse. Um, right. I feel like we've been fortunate these past couple of launches, um, and definitely around Moto X, where you and I were able to talk in real time, like pre embargo. Right. And that, at, at least from my perspective, that helps me understand what's going on better. Yeah, otherwise, it's just a surprise to everybody. Yeah. So, um, here's the thing. We are at two hours and 40 minutes. We yeah, still have NVIDIA long. shield. 
Um, we can talk about shield some other time. I like yeah, shield. Let's, it's okay. Let's 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 do shield on on the next one. Um, Nvidia wants me to say shield is amazing. I, I like shield quite a lot. I, I still don't know if I can say it's amazing, but it's it's pretty good. Yeah, and I'm actually like I kind of want to play with one now. Yeah, um, they should get you one. Yeah, so I, I don't know. You know what uh, is we'll, amazing is using it with the AR drone. I'll say that. Yeah, the that's, AR drone two point uh, <laughs> There are a lot of things you can do that are very cool with Shield. You just need to have a lot of other stuff. Right. You need a you need a powerful desktop with a GeForce GPU or yeah a Parrot AR drone. Yeah, stuff that's not cheap. Um, like each of those is to... at least like a three hundred dollar purchase yeah. on top of Shield. Yeah, but if you have those things, then it completes the meal. Right. Um, anyways, we'll talk about fresh. Shield next time. <laughs> I want to thank you all for listening. Um, Brian, thanks for sticking with us for two hours and 40 minutes. Oh, you too. And, Definitely. And uh, we'll, we'll talk at you real soon.